So far as the GA are concerned, in this matter, it's nothing to do with the individual teams. This is to do with the GAA protecting its own rules, protecting its own reputation. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You're very welcome along. Today is the day, ladies and gentlemen. We have the news. It came through late, late last night that Glenn, Waddy Grahams are going to appeal, um, complain... Object. Object. Object is the word. Uh, to, really, the farcical scenes at the end of the game uh, on Sunday. And this story could rumble all the way on to the weekend. Now, we ain't in Kansas anymore, Toto. What happens now? Who actually knows? Well, maybe Nicky Brennan knows. He's going to join us a little bit later on, a former president who would have appointed a CCCC and so therefore would have some idea of uh, what is about to happen. But um, late last night, not in time for the papers. Uh, not in time for primetime either, was it? Or was it just coming through around primetime? It was just coming through around primetime. Yeah. Good silence. Everywhere and anywhere yesterday. Front page of the Irish Times, you name it. Yeah, it's a big story. A big shambolic story that could have been nipped in the bud but wasn't nipped in the bud. And um, so we'll talk about that with, with Nicky Brennan because the, the rule is very clear. The CCCC can intervene. The organising committee of the competition can intervene. They don't have to wait. But um, the sense was that they couldn't intervene because that would, you know, where, where would that take us? Us being in charge of our own competitions. Where, uh, that, that, that wouldn't take us anywhere. It'd be a shocker, wouldn't it? A decision that was made by the GEA. Um it's a bit mad. Yeah, I was chatting to the taxi driver on the way in this morning. He was like, Kill McCud. If I was Kill McCud, I'm not playing it. I'm not. I'm refusing to play this match. He says when he was manager of a, a certain club in Dublin years ago, as a soccer manager, he un- he purposely started 12 players because he knew the opposition. I won't name the teams involved. This is 30 years ago. Sorry, what? Purposely started 12. Now, this is an underage game. Purposely started 12 players. That's even worse. They still lost 4-0. He said they copped on about 20 minutes <laughs> into the game. But uh, they all had a laugh about it afterwards. Oh, yeah, well, uh, like, you know, under 12s. Yeah, and when you lose four 0 anyway, then at least you can, you can laugh about it. But yeah, he, he was adamant. No, 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 I wouldn't play. Why not? Keep the trophy, or else, uh, as some of the lads in the office were saying this morning, get a replica made. Well, could Kilmacud could just go take your trophy, Glenn? We won't even play the replay. Have it yourself. Just, just hand over the. What happens the then? Well, that's an option, isn't it? That's one of the three options. Yeah. So the options now are that the GEA order a replay. They could also just say, actually. You had an extra player on the pitch. You broke the rules. We're giving the trophy to Glenn. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, as you say, we don't know what Kilmacud's response is going to be. Or the GEA could say, actually, this didn't have any material impact on the game whatsoever, and we just stick with the result, and we all move on with our lives. We, and we you find you. Decide then. yourselves. Fine, could be 500, uh, 5 grand, 50 grand, 500 grand. error this was. Uh, so, Kilmacud now have three days to respond. I thought that this would be done, and... Maybe there was a possibility the game could happen on even Saturday when Dublin are playing Kildare and you have a double header. Because I'd imagine any amount of these players were heading off on their holidays. You know, this has been a hell of a long season for them. They just want to get away now for a couple of weeks, probably had their flights booked for this morning and are gone for a couple of weeks. And now they're all in absolute limbo. And maybe that feeds into what Kilmacud are thinking and they come out quickly and say, let's just get this done. I would be shocked if Kilmacud didn't just say, let's go again. Let's replay this game. Uh, let's bring it quick end to all of this 
and get it done. I'd say if, like you know when you wake up with a hangover but you've won a trophy a couple of days before so it, it numbs the pain and it's it's not too bad. Like Kilmacott are going to wake up the, these days with the worst hangover of all time because they're like we celebrated winning the All-Ireland and now we actually haven't won the All-Ireland yet. And that's a difficult thing because I, this is different to a Mead Loud scenario where everybody who left the stadium and I was in Crow Park that day everyone knew this was an outrage and this was going to be a controversy the likes we had never seen before. Yeah. Everybody left Crow Park on Sunday going, that was grand. Dramatic end to the game. Kilmacud, get their All-Ireland title. On we go. They have their celebrations. It only started rumbling a little bit on Sunday night. People saw it and thought, ah, does that really matter? It wasn't until Monday morning, by which time, you know, they've been on it. Uh, and they're waking up, as you say, and realise, actually, well, got a bit of a situation Well, that's, that's, I mean, it was, they were asked about it in the post-match, so it became an issue straight away. Like, uh, But I don't think anyone, even when it was been asked post-match, and I, I would flip it on the other side as well, you know, obviously a lot of people are pointing to Maliki O'Rourke and saying, well, Maliki O'Rourke, you know, brought it up and said, ah, you know, it happened, we move on. Mm. Like, was Maliki O'Rourke... Aware exactly of the positioning of all the players no, I don't on the so. pitch at that stage. He had an inkling that there was. I mean, here's the thing: if they had just retaken the 45, this all would have been over. We would have been like, "Oh, that was a bit of a wrinkle at the end." Well, you know what was going on there? How did that happen? Interesting, yeah. whatever. You know, but um, but that didn't happen. They had the opportunity to fix it at the time, and it's mad that it didn't appear then in the referee's report. And it's mad that the the GA didn't step in and say, "Okay, we understand there's a massive potential for controversy here. That a touch paper has been lit." that there's so many aspects of this story that are, are clearly going to make it a massive story and um, and let's let's nip that in the buds. Whatever crisis management happened didn't happen in time. Well, too much has been said of made of what Maliki said because that's heat of the moment. He's having a microphone thrust in his face immediately after an All-Ireland Club final where he's gutted and disappointed. So what he says in that moment, and, and I believe Maliki meant what he said because... He's that kind of fella anyway. He doesn't want to win in, in those sort of circumstances. Well, he doesn't want to be a bad loser. Yeah. Like some managers come out and they're angry. If there's been an injustice, some managers go, actually, you know, I don't want to be the guy who's coming out saying, we've been robbed here. Of course. When, again, we don't know what would have happened if there was just the 15 players on the pitch. But the GEA's response is bizarre. Even yesterday, the word that was coming through, well, if we were to step in on this, where does that stop when there's an you know, issue in the Junior B down in Mayo next yeah. year? No, we All-Ireland Finals. In. We have a rule for All-Ireland Finals. We're going to be yeah. extra interested. We have given the All-Ireland Club season uh, added interest levels. We have put it front and centre. This is showbiz, baby. And now that everybody's actually taken a real interest, there's never been more talk about one. We're kind of going, well, actually. And like that rule when it's written and the fact that an objection is needed you have to assume part of that is that it's when the referee doesn't know anything about it and it's brought to their attention afterwards but it's not it's not the rule is actually written very clearly that the the organizers of the uh, competition can intervene you don't need an objection but what i'm saying is they have to because like this is a referee's fault this is on the officials and like part of that is because of this lax attitude that is generally there. Okay, hang on, just on this, right? So I was a sub a lot. It's yeah. a long time ago, <laughs> at a much lower level than this. But whenever I was being subbed in, I always had to tell the lad I was getting subbed in for, you're going off, I'm coming in. And you know, I would do it with Lee. It's like, ha, 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 you're getting taken off, I'm coming on. <laughs> yeah. is, that, is there not some responsibility well, on well, the team ab- to make sure that they've ab- brought their players off? Absolutely there is. Some responsibility. So it's on not just a hundred percent. It's split. No, well, it's no, split. I, There's a pie chart. On the, re- the it all falls back on the referee. Then so clearly what happens? It's complete carnage at the end of the game. They're hanging on. We all know what happened last year. They're desperate, desperate to go and win. And the sub runs on. And even by the time he's getting in, and we heard from Kathleen on Monday that you know the Kilmacud uh, backroom staff are saying 
get off the pitch. That there's so much going on. The player doesn't leave. The referee knows this. We know he knows this because he tells the referee to go off. He tells the player to go off straight away afterwards. Doesn't stop it. They take a quick free kick, and he doesn't just blow his whistle and say, "Actually, hold on a second. We just have to wait." Yeah. They like could that's have done it where the problem starts. 100%. And that has to be on the referee. But again, it just feeds into this, why isn't it not like in soccer and rugby? Oh, where you, oh, oh, why not? Why, there's where, your answer, Nathan. The substitution is what happening. Uh, the substitute doesn't come on. There's your Nathan. this there's is, your... again, that little bit of, ah, should a sub come run on and the other lad run off and he'll, like, you know, Paul Mannion will be, like, every single GA substitute in the history of mankind has been in the Paul Mannion situation where you're not fully off the pitch when the game restarts. But Mannion looks up at the screen to see that his, his name is up So there. again, there's obviously so much going on even he doesn't quite realise yeah. what has happened. But it has to be on the officials at that stage of a game to say, hold on a second and then when he realises it's gone wide. How, how is it not in the referee's report is what I'm wondering. I don't understand that either. That's bonkers. I, I don't understand it. I do, you know, it's, it'd be interesting to, to hear from the referee in, in coming uh, days, weeks, months and years about what, what happened in the aftermath and what they thought was going on. Uh, Quirky1980 says, We played a, a GA game where an opposition player got sent off in the first half. They came back on with 15 minutes and gone in the second half. Took about five minutes to cop playing around midfield in the middle of the rooks. <clears throat> well, was that not a GEA rule at one stage as well? That, uh, is that still a rule that you get sent off, you can come back on for extra time? Uh, yeah, you can't. Your suspension kicks in, I'm fairly sure, but uh, a player can replace you. <clears throat> yeah, Jesus. like um, Farcical. Uh, like, if, if Kilmacud, the ball is now very firmly in Kilmacud's court. Um, well, so that's the question. What if, what if they're like, no, screw you, we want a fair and play on the field? Because... The publicity, the PR machine would be... Oh, it would it, though? Would a disaster. It, would it, would it would be a disaster. It? I don't think it would. I Public relations-wise for Kilmacud Crooks, <coughs> if they no. refuse to play this game, it's a disaster. Declan Bogue has this story on the back of the Herald. The controversial Ireland final could be replayed after Glenn were believed to be in favour of lodging an objection. However, uh, Kilmacud may refuse to line out if ordered to replay... Uh, the chance of replay are in doubt with the standings from Kilmacud the mood is growing within their ranks that if they're asked to replay the game they would refuse and instead have the cup awarded no screw you um, I hope someone in Kilmacud has the sense to play, to replay the game and say in, in these meetings lads come on we ha- the, this would be like the, the backlash from this and maybe they don't care about the backlash but they should care about the backlash oh, I would be shocked why would there be a Kilmacud. backlash though against them what, what? Well, the, the, I mean, for not playing it's already turned against them because they threw on an extra man against little old Len and they're the might of Kilmacud who, who transferred the greatest player in the country over to their But I don't think... Any, I, okay, so you, you should... We, we should separate all that, right? Yeah, of course. Like, but I'm just saying, because it's Kilmacud, and that's unfair, it is, but it's the reality, because it's Kilmacud, the backlash would be severe if they didn't play this replay. I think it would be. be the we most we obviously haven't heard anything from Kilmacud, so we don't know what their thinking is, and they may well look at it and say, we were making a substitution, they took a free kick quickly, we didn't have time to get our lad off the pitch... He's in a paddock. He stays there. The referee blows his whistle. Again, the onus is on the officials. They made a mistake. We didn't make a mistake. But and I'd yes, say, there's I, public outrage. But we have won that trophy. And in our minds, they, we won it fair just, and square. Why don't they just come out and say, yeah, we made a mistake as well. The referee made a mistake. It's terrible that that all happened. Let's play the game again. And away we go. That's well, the I, easy I, I, You would have to say know, that that's the bit where you hold your own hands up scenario. and you accept some responsibility is the bit that's missing from all this. It's like everybody is trying to find someone to point the finger at. See what you like, said there, Nathan. You said there that's the most likely scenario. I, I, I agreed with you up to up to yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening, and then now I'm of the opinion, I, because it's taken so long for Kilmacud to come out and say something, 
I'm cons- I'm worried. I'm worried that that's not the option that's going to uh, be be pursued by by Kevin McCudner. I'm worried like that it's not going to be played. It seems like they've the from the outside. It seems like the the there there just hasn't been anybody coming out and putting their head above the parapet and saying this is what happened. This is how it happened. We take our responsibility, our share of the blame for that because they you know this bit where they're a victim. Like that's just not true. They're they're definitely not victims in this. No. Um. But they're going to play that victim card, and people are like, um, I, "Where is it in the in the?" Well, we don't know. know they're playing the victim card. Like they haven't said anything, so they haven't played any card as well, of yet. Well, if they're not going to play the game, it's yeah, like, we, again, it, let's it's Declan Bow was reporting that that's the soundings. Happens. Very well sourced reporter. I believe everything he writes. No, this not here. I absolutely. Um, so I wouldn't be terribly surprised about it. They're unavailable to come on the show because they think that we have not covered this in an even-handed manner. I just want to put it, put that, in, like, let you know that we have asked people from Kilmacud to come on multiple people. Uh, now we did put Ryan Dwyer on the radio last night on off the ball on news talk, and he called you out. He called me out. He called Kathleen out. I would have to say I disagree with uh, much of what he says. The semantics around the word cheat. Was it unfair? Did they get an unfair advantage? Look, I, I, I'm not suggesting for a minute that Kim McCudd knew what they were doing in those last frantic, chaotic Can I just, uh, moments. But did they get an unfair advantage from having an extra man on the but field? Is that, of course it's, it's a well, an unfair, that cheating? Well, that's the definition the, of cheating, is to gain no, an unfair advantage. Sorry, so literally, these aren't laws, these are rules. I know, sure. And there's but, but here's the thing. premeditated this, about it. This, and um, this touchy semantics around the definition of the word cheating. Like, that's what the officials are there for. Now look, at, I'd be on the other extreme, I wouldn't, you know, I don't believe Thierry Henry cheated. I think Thierry Henry did something and there's a referee standing 10 feet away and a referee should blow his whistle and punish him for it. Uh, then Thierry morally, Henry, then morally, no, no, then morally you could say maybe Thierry Henry could have done something. Yeah, I don't believe he actually would have. I think something happened here he that there are officials, there's what, eight officials there, they have to make the decision. I don't think in any way that this goes to the level of cheating. I mean, it, you but, could say the by the very you, definition of the word every, it does though. Like then every little Yeah, I would say yeah. I would say when is, but here's know, the thing some guys run it, you know, every, is every foul cheating? So here's the thing. Did did Maradona cheat with the handball, right? Yeah, of course he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. But we we were like yeah, yeah, good cheated. man, you're a, you're like a, you're a legend for doing that because England. you're a little guy and it's against England. And like when James McCartan was like an absolute superstar he had that, he would run past you and he would grab your chest and he'd pull you down on top of the ref and be like, oh, free in for little James. And be like, yeah, go on, James, you're a genius. Kim, the chemical thing is not, like, if this is different. The only way. A million things happen in games. Like, not all of them are good. It doesn't necessarily mean it's cheap. They, well, it, a it, rule was like, broken. I mean, you it, trust that the referees will implement the rules correctly. They didn't do that. Now, whether that means because it was at such an important stage of the game that Kilmer could then should have to replay the game. I, I, I firmly Quite possibly. T- I take Nathan's opinion on cheating very seriously given his, his track record in the crappy quiz but I have to say in this instance I'm not like the only way this is cheating this incident is if it's premeditated I think and I, I, I'm not saying for a second I think the premeditation I think the premeditation actually doesn't matter do you gain an unfair advantage yes or no got, the answer is yes, yes the way we go that's, that's gain an unfair advantage a hundred times during a match uh, but so then teams cheat a hundred times during a match. I think we. I think this doesn't matter. Again, but there's, there's, a, there's, there's the rules, so you push the rules as far as you possibly can. Or you break. Like the if rules. a lad takes too many steps, yeah. If seven, he takes two hops, yeah, yeah. Sorry, ref. Oh, I took two hops. I didn't say, like, no, that's the referee's job. Anyway, I, my point. You're getting as worked up about it as apparently some other people are. But I, I do think that like all of this. The, the use of language or not being allowed to call something what it is 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 uh, it's very strange and it seems to have um, uh, struck a chord touched a nerve whatever uh, and as a result we haven't heard from them 
I just I, I, it doesn't, that doesn't make any want sense. To come out and say something. Like if they want to say something on the matter, they're more than welcome. To, we, we'll give them a platform to say something on the matter. But like, not saying anything is not great either. Like we, we've we've said it about the GEA yesterday. You, you, like, defend your corner. Well, there's a good piece, a good uh, even had a piece by Sean Moran today, and obviously they've got the 16 men picture that they used in the front of the paper yesterday. And um, he's, he's making the point about sportsmanship. And Glenn, if they have a legitimate claim to the rematch, there's also the immediate perspective of the team manager, Malachi O'Rourke, and him saying that. Now, I, I do think Malachi, in the heat of the moment, said what yeah. he thought as a personal view and not the close view. Um, but he does also say sportsmanship cuts both ways. It was equally open to Kilmacud to offer a replay on the basis that they had broken the rules and they too must be dismayed at how their victory has been submerged in controversy. These are dilemmas no club wants. Uh, I think um, in the office Phil was making the point that it would be hollow for Glenn if they were to get the trophy under those circumstances but it's pretty hollow for Kilmacud to get the uh, trophy at the moment, right? No, like the worst case scenario here is that Glenn win the replay. Like, no, sorry, I think Glenn win the replay, I think they've won it on the field, that if somehow this game was not played and that the trophy ended up with Glenn, but if Kil- that if- they've never finished in front on the scoreboard, I I don't know. And listen, I, I understand oh, I'm not the saying, argument. I'm not saying they're happy about it, but like, you know, I'm not saying Glenn would be happy about that. They wouldn't. But like, at the same time, Kilmacud can't just take this and go, yeah, no, we won it. No. Because like, you'd, you'd an extra, you'd actually two extra men on the field to play at the end of the game. You're not allowed to do that. Mm. You can't do that. Like, you just can't. There can't be special rules for you. We'd be replaying about 90 of the last 100 All-Ireland Finals if there was a substitute on the field of play when play resumed. Yeah, well, when yeah, they stand on the goal line. On the goal line. goal line one But they, they were still on the field of play, like, do you know what I mean? That's so, black and white. The Darren Mullen one is black and white. That's, that's, a, that's an advantage. That's an unfair advantage. I don't care if it's 15 seconds, 20 seconds. Couple of quick, couple of quick comments on this. Uh, Jack Cosgrove Jura's behaviour yesterday was a disgrace trying to point the blame on Croaks I didn't I said that they were lacking leadership in not coming out and saying that yeah we made our mistakes and we're willing to offer a replay and now all of a sudden the story is emerging that they're talking about not coming to play the game that they're going to say no no that's not fair we're the victims in all this we've had our All-Ireland taken like they have to pour, they have to stop pointing the finger and go well, what did we do we had too many men on the field to play and what are we going to do to try and fix the situation? And think forward about what, what actually might happen here. But they're allowed to feel that. So they're allowed to feel incredibly frustrated that they went up on the Hogan stand, lifted that trophy, yeah. had their big homecoming, had all of that. Why did they, why did they have 16 men on the field to play? Had, but had all of that because the referee didn't stop and the they, play. And the, but the, but, but they, had, they were allowed to have but that. They, but now they, they, but their now they didn't come off when they were supposed to come off. To actually, you know what? The right thing for us to do here is to play this game again. So that... Everyone can stop talking about this. Let's go beat them a second time and let's go and lift the trophy a second time. Let's go and have a second good night out. Let's have a full week of celebrating then and there will never be a doubt that we were the best team in the country. Well, that'll be the least, that'll be the least controversial outcome from the replay. If Kilmacud were to win it, then you're like, okay, they've won it. But if Glenn win the replay, it's... I mean, it's... Best of three. Well, it's... Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe that's the thing to do is like, here, listen, we'll offer you a best of three. It'll be the, the greatest games of all time. Played in a small venue though instead of Croke Park. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, where there can be like fever pitch, where maybe the, you know, the fans can invade every time there's a decision that they don't like. Mm. Well, they may it's, well end up having to play somewhere else if there. it doesn't happen. Uh, if it doesn't happen this Saturday. Oh, another question: Why is Dublin Kildare happening in Croke Park Division Two? 
Dublin Kildare in Crow Park. It'll probably State be of that pitch. It's going to be a much bigger uh, crowd than most of the other games that happen. Anyway, that's a separate issue. Uh, you can save that rubbish for a slight tangent if you want. Mark Dunning says, uh, Glenn have to appeal. Imagine a scenario where this happens in another game in the future and the club sinned against appeals and gets a replay. Glenn would look incredibly foolish for not appealing then. I don't think, I don't think, you know, it's, it's I mean, it's, uh, okay. Uh, I see your point. It's, uh, whatever. Uh, what is the correct thing to do? We all know what it is. GA step up and make the decision, asks Kira Hudson. What is the correct thing? What is the, what is the right course of action here? When has the GA been good and quick at coming out and making decisions? No, answer the question. Answer the question. What is the right course of action here? GA should, from now on or from the start? From now on. GA from this, intervened. But from this point, what, what, what's the correct outcome? I think the game should be replayed. Yeah. I think the game should be replayed. I don't go along with this uh, line of thinking that it didn't, the extra player didn't affect the passage of play. Like sport is a million different things. We have no idea what would have happened if the player wasn't there. And I think even for Kilmacud's sake, it's just worth going out and playing it again because like they do not want this to your point hanging over them I think that was obvious from like about five minutes after full time yeah. and, and at that point absolutely anyway Nicky Brennan's coming up in about 20 minutes we'll talk to him about that uh, morning lads and shifty lads I don't think it is actually all the rest fault when you run in with your piece of paper surely it's the club that has to call their player off it should be on the team I mean certainly there needs to now be a little conversation about uh, whose responsibility is that like we're going to see games slow down to a snail's pace a la the rugby uh, Lions tour last year where the games were two and a half hours long if every substitution we have to like wait for people to stroll off do you know um, but we, we probably have to do John Claffey what does Adrian Barry think of all this we don't know we, been, we don't know he's been hiding he's been hiding he's, he's uh, locked away in the Meetings, no doubt, giving serious advice. Did fireworks and all down in Kilmacud? Uh, you you mentioned this on Monday as if as if in in Glen they wouldn't have had fireworks if they. Oh, of course they would have. Wait, what's wrong with fireworks? No, are, no, are no. People no, from South Dublin not allowed to celebrate. They're, they're they're celebrate. Life. Yeah, yeah. I Which fireworks are illegal in the Republic of Ireland? There is that also. Well, but yeah, what's but wrong with where fireworks? Do, where, where do they get them from? <laughs> I think probably from the north. Yeah, <laughs> that's generally what happens, isn't that? Are they still illegal? I think they are. I mean, I'm fairly sure they are because um, frowned upon, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's like a dog license. The te- guards aren't really going to technically do illegal. Um, but anyway, <laughs> good to know that Nathan is a. If you want some bangers, <laughs> a few Roman candles, just open up his coat there. He's got some for you. Uh, Danny Max says, "If my club would be celebrating after our objection already, wouldn't even offer a replay." <laughs> there is. There. I mean, this could go either way. There's still room for everybody to make massive missteps from a public relations perspective uh, Aaron Kenny says has anyone actually looked at the video footage and tried to find out the players at fault for failing to come off or the management team failing to signal I think a, a lot of parsing over the Zapruder film has been done uh, Enemies OK Feeney says why would they say anything on the matter for God's sake they won they don't want this don't want to replay don't want a big media storm for God's sake yeah but like you don't get to decide you don't get to decide that like oh everybody should just ignore this the Irish Times put it in the front the paper on the Tuesday afterwards yesterday so you can't like we're not the only people talking about this but they should come out and manage the situation crisis 101 is you get out you go down, you you put your best and most likable person out there you you know you be a bit apologetic and you go well this is unfortunately it's a very unfortunate situation we think we won the game fair and square if the powers that be decided on a replay we'll go for the replay away we go do you know that, right, they didn't do that though no do you know that they were saying Malachi O'Rourke is coming out? No, he's being a big, big man about it, and he's saying, "Oh, you know, we don't want to win like this." 
if it was the other way around and Malachi O'Rourke's team had been the team with the 16th man we know what, what Malachi O'Rourke would have done he would have said I don't, don't. Want to, I don't want to win like this we don't we don't know well, what anyone would have done we know what type of person he is he would, I, like, like this is the, this is the we fact don't, we don't like, we, we cl- you sorry, claim to know what type this, of, this is, I, I'm sorry I think that's like if this incredibly is presumptuous if this is Barry Harness I have no idea how anyone how would react how would you feel if Barry Harness was in Kim McCudd's position you'd like to think that you'd be if anybody ever asked you for your opinion you'd like to think you'd be magnanimous and say don't want to win like this this, is, this isn't a good look like this is supposed to be sport it's supposed to be the best of the small the smallest local units of the GAA and fair sport is supposed to be fair Level playing field. What's the point? I mean, Jesus. Uh, are fireworks illegal in Ireland? We've asked Google. Please be safe and do not have fireworks in your possession. It is illegal in this country and you're liable to prosecution if you're found to be in possession of fireworks. Oh, oh, send them. I can't believe it. Send them to jail. Uh, it's not, we're, not, we're not saying that. It's totally legitimate. Uh, no, my point was they were, they were very busy celebrating and having a great time, as they should have been. But then I'm sure the celebrations were, were uh, rudely cut short at some point. Well, maybe they're still maybe they're still on it. Maybe Leonard's still on it. And if they are, fair play to them because the game's not going to be this weekend, regardless. Um, but I think we need to find out fairly quickly. Yeah, David McLean says after all is said and done, I'd say Gerald will probably be barred from the borough of Stillorgan. Uh Yeah, they, they, there was a text message that uh, said he's a wanker. So I, I'm, I'm not looking forward to uh, the, the Vincent the Vincent Miners being. Um, so what, sort of thing, what sort of things? What sort of things in Slorgan can Jer not do? There's bowling, isn't no, there? No, they, they destroyed the. Uh, oh, they got rid they, of the bowling. They knocked down. I presume they're building some apartments. Yeah, where every time Bruce Springsteen would come to Ireland, he would rent out uh, the bowling. Oh, would he? It was a very famous uh, name for that bowling place that I can't now think of. Uh, he would rent it out for the evening, and he'd bring all his band, and everybody would go there for the evening. But yeah, last time I was uh, in Slorgan, it was gone, demolished. Ah, so that's one of the things. More that... room for more apartments. Yeah, Jesus. Doesn't matter to Jerry anyway, you won't be allowed back in Stillorgan. Uh, Terry Kelly says, correct decision. Croaks offer the replay saying we made a mistake. Glenn say thanks for the apology, but in the interest of sport and respect, we decline the replay and we all move on. That could well happen. No, it's too late. Well, maybe, maybe it's not too late. Maybe, that's, maybe, that, maybe that will happen. Um, but that's definitely what would have happened, I think, if Croaks had been out on Sunday evening and said, look, we understand there was a bit of confusion at the end there. In the interest of before we go celebrating, before we light the, the touch paper on our... Magnificent Roman candles. That would be Glenn playing chess there. That would be them playing chess. We're going to object to the result. Kilmacud are going to offer us the replay. We're going to say, no, nah, have your have your tainted All-Ireland. We don't care. Take it with you. We're going on our holidays. Enjoy your little... Maybe you know, maybe enjoy your asterisk All-Ireland. That's, that, that, that would be chess and checkers from, from Glenn, I think. But also, like, you know, not, that's, that's a possible outcome here. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm sure the GA are negotiating something along those lines in the background. Something along those lines. Uh, OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Here's what's coming up between now and uh, 10 o'clock for you. Uh, Catherine Murphy's going to join us live from Melbourne. Nicky Brennan's going to give us his thoughts on these. One JD, please. It is this week's version of Virtual Insanity. We've got the sports pages. And Ike Anagu is a Orla Farmer's uh, recently retired Cork footballer, a six-time All-Ireland winner. And uh, Ike Nagu is tearing up trees as an espoir at La Rochelle and has just been named in the Ireland under-20 squad uh, for the Six Nations. Can still play for South Africa and will eventually become eligible for France as well. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Nathan questions, is every foul a cheat? Of course it is, but when the cheat is caught, the referee calls a free. This clearly broke the rules, so it is cheating and therefore something needs to be done. Like, your point about uh, it's only cheating if the referee doesn't catch it, like, in that case... 
you know, you're saying the, the referees are there to stop the cheating. If, if, exactly. if every foul is it, yeah. But then when the referee doesn't do it, but again, you get, I, you I you get away with you get away with the of rules. You get away with the cheating. The breaking of rules, it's cheating. Like you're, this is the semantics that mm. that like but, the, the mental gymnastics you've got to go through to be pissed off I, at the I, use of the word cheating. Like yeah, but I, I would imagine every player in every game then cheats a little in bit, some yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. But so, this is this is an egregious extra. We have an oh, no, extra this is, man on the field of this, play. This is obviously uh, a level above all of that. But, but I still think the onus is on the referee uh, to just stop okay. the play, okay. wait, okay, retake he, the free. You know, premeditation is, is, all premeditation is important. You can premeditatively decide to, to dive in soccer or Gaelic. See, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really think you can. Yeah, I think you can. like you're moving at 100 miles an hour and you go, I'm going to throw myself there. Again, but the referee's job is to stop that. You haven't the night before God. But it is cheating. I'm going to... It is. It is. Like, you, you can't deny that. That's the whole point of rules. You get booked. On we go. Yeah, you were cheating. You got caught. In this case, it happened. It didn't get caught. Like, whether or not it was intentional is actually largely irrelevant mm. to the use and the definition of all the words. Uh, two things we need to talk about. Patrick Reed throws a T at Rory McIlroy. The beef is real. Or is it? You're you're a bit sceptical like this, but you're one of the few people in the world who's sceptical about it. Uh, well, sorry, I, you missed the uh, the most exciting part, which was that Shane Hannon thought it was a cup of tea. No, <laughs> Colin Buhig thought it was a cup of tea. <laughs> thought that he had thrown it, which would have really been a story. Yeah, yeah. I want to I see the video evidence uh, before all of this. Listen, Patrick Reed uh, is an easy man to punch when he's down and is not a likeable figure. And it, there's every possibility that he went up to Rory and like Rory's obviously leading the charge for good in golf and Patrick Reed is very much on the side of evil in golf. And, you know, maybe he doesn't want to talk to Patrick Reed. Rory knows, you know, he got a bit of an insight from that Kimmage article as to, say, the Sergio Garcia text first thing in the morning, abusing Rory because he got a bad tea time that all these guys may be putting all of the blame for their misfortune and their mistreatment when they're playing European Tour events at the hands of Rory. And Rory's like, I just don't have time for these. He's in the middle of a practice session. Like, is he throwing the t- Is he taking it out? Like, a tee is hard to throw at someone. It doesn't really take flight like a dart. No, it's pointless. So it's just going to flop down short of Rory McIlroy? It's pathetic. Piece. Did Rory McIlroy even know? Like, in, in the long, long, long list of misdemeanors of Patrick Reed, and I'm not sure whether we're safe now to talk about them, considering one part of his court case this week was dismissed. Uh, he's suing everybody and anybody in America for destroying his reputation. Like, is this near the top? I think, again, just underlines how bitter it actually is because there was a period last year where it was oh like Lee West with Dean Pote have gone but we you know we soldiered together in the right we're still friends at the end it's of last year fine. it looked like it was all all they got to do is get rid of Greg yeah and they've doubled down on Greg everybody else is going from Liv and Greg is getting more power right so uh, the, the guy who was running it previously is now stepping away concentrating more on Newcastle and everything all their other sporting investments and Greg is fully fully in charge right okay so then that that level of peace isn't going to happen I, I believe all this to be honest uh, again it, it, it all seems credible yeah. uh, Patrick Reed is standing behind Rory says hello to Harry Diamond the, the caddy who seems to salutes him uh, seems what's to, this like does he give him the like, America the, well, that, well again like is a salute if someone goes like that to you that's a bit sarcastic isn't it oh yeah uh, I presume it's like hail fellow well met that's what I understand the <laughs> salute me. Uh, comrade uh, hello yeah. uh, hello all these golf beefs are fake, aren't they? They're all just... Uh, no, I think they would have been previously, and like the Ryder Cup, like actually like one of the greatest Ryder Cup matches of all time, Rory against Reed, and Rory's giving it all that, and they're riling up the crowd. Like, that's theatre. But yeah. there's a definite 
bitterness and awkwardness now with like if you're Rory and Sergio Garcia who was at your wedding was one of your best mates on tour is texting you abuse at 6 o'clock in the morning and blaming you for the fact that he's got a bad tea time out on tour mm. and that's been replicated by Poulter Westwood all of whom now Rory has taken this on his shoulders like he wants to be the head mm. of and as I say good and very much is and has done it brilliantly so is he going to be upset with falling out with Patrick Reed? and also Patrick Reed is the easiest man in the world to have a fight with because everybody's going to be on your side so yeah Reed is the wicked witch of the West, and Rory's the the good witch. Do you know, there's good. It's it's good and bad in this scenario. And Reed Reed plays the villain very well. I think he enjoys the role. You'd have to think so. Now the fact that he's suwing people for about a billion dollars. Uh, yeah, because yeah. That, <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe he enjoys the money as, uh, uh, better. Okay, so that that is happening at the moment. That's one of the things that is going on. The other thing that uh, we need to talk about is you picked your Premier League. Uh, I, I, I don't know if we've time to fully do this justice. I was uh, picking last night. It didn't feel like the most exciting yeah. half team of the year as I was going through it. Uh, like so many players have underperformed as yeah. the leading teams this season. Uh, next week I might do a team of the season outside the top six where there's a bit of, you know, real depth to it. Uh, so what I've gone with, what I've gone with then for my team of the year, uh, in goal a tight decision. I've gone with Aaron Ramsdale ahead of Nick Pope who Bruno Gramara said last night was the greatest goalkeeper in the world. Uh, Nick Pope has kept 10 clean sheets in a row now for Newcastle. 12 and 20 games. I just feel Ramsdale has been so important to Arsenal in terms of his quality as a goalkeeper, in terms of the saves he's made but also just his attitude like he f- he's playing under a lot more pressure these last few weeks than Nick Pope is because I think Jonathan Wilson made a great point on, on Off the Ball on Monday night. Like, there's an insanity around Arsenal at the moment that belies the fact we're only halfway through the season. Every game feels like a title decider. And even though you could question maybe his role in uh, the Lissandro Martinez goal on Sunday, I just think he has emerged as such a brilliant leader in that Arsenal team. I'm going to put him in slightly ahead of Nick Pope. And also you can't just have an entire Newcastle backline which I very nearly could have. Okay, so your backline is Trippier, Shar, Saliba, Zinchenko. Mm. Um, like, a testament to what Eddie Howe has done. Like, you know, Kieran Trippier is at 32 and he's playing the best football of his life right now. Uh, he contributes as good as any attacking right back in the league. You know, his level of assists, his involvement in their attacking play, but he's also just a bloody brilliant defender as well. And has arguably been their best player so far this season. So I think Trippier is nailed on at centre-back. Uh, Fabian Schaar, I have just in ahead of Sven Botman as a Newcastle defender. I think Schaar probably adds a bit more in what Newcastle try and do attacking-wise, brings the ball out of defence very well. But their defensive record is just insane. If you take away that game against Sheffield Wednesday in the Cup where they conceded a couple of late goals, like to, to not concede a goal in 10 straight games is is as good as you will get from a defence at the very highest level. So I think Shar has been brilliant this season. Uh, William Saliba, just ahead of Gabriel on the Arsenal side, like they must be thinking, why didn't we bring this guy back sooner? Uh, considering all the defensive problems they've had over the last couple of years. Uh, looks absolutely top drawer. So Saliba, like other contenders, maybe Akanji has been the pick of the Manchester City defenders, but standards have been set so high at City over the last couple of years. I don't think they've got anywhere near that. Uh, Left-back was a difficult one in that there hasn't really been an outstanding left-back so far this season. Zinchenko's only played 11, 12 games for Arsenal, but every time he does play, 
and he's on that Cancelo, you know, obviously coming from Manchester City, but you are watching him on Sunday. Those positions he picks up, like the bravery to move into midfield, the trust he plays is in his teammates, and the bit of leadership he seems to bring as well to the Manchester City side. Has he played enough games to get in the team? Yeah, I think so. Like Dan Byrne has been very, very good for Newcastle as well. It's hard to get your head around a yeah. six foot seven inch left back been able to do what he does. Uh, Luke Shaw would have been close. Ooh. There's definitely a little bit of this with one or two of them. Of I'm worried. I probably. Was a bit of recency bias. No, there was a bit of recency bias uh, in it. In that, you know, some of these players have been brilliant since the World Cup, and you kind of forget the World Cup feels like a season ago (laughs) rather than actually uh, this season. But again, away from that, I don't think there was any really outstanding contenders for for left back. So I think Zinchenko's probably been the most important left back so far this season. Yeah. Um, Midfield. Rodri and Casemiro in the middle of midfield. That'd be a bloody good midfield in, Take that, uh, in reality. Uh, Rodri, aside from Erling Haaland, I think has been City's best player this season. They've had a real struggle in midfield in that Gundogan, uh, Bernardo Silva. None of these guys have consistently got to the level, but I think Rodri has been outstanding in every game I've seen him so far this season. Um, you know, Obviously, the criticism will be maybe he keeps it a bit too simple at times, but I think he knows his role inside out. He helps protect the defence, and he just lets the better players do it. The fact they haven't done it isn't really his issue. Uh, Casemiro, the improvement that he has brought about in Manchester United. I do think there's a little bit of they were so bad for so long in the middle of the field, and there was such a frustration and anger towards McTominay and Fred. Like Every 40-yard ball that Casemiro now plays is... Has any midfielder ever done anything like this in the history of football? Expectations were so low around that position. But again, his well, importance to changing the attitude yeah. of the team. And his absence and at the weekend was keenly felt. Mm-hmm. And that's the bit where, you know, we always get accused of, oh, X player in his absence has become world class and we're particularly bad at it here in Ireland. But in this instance, uh, it only served to further highlight. Uh, it's not just this what guy, he, pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's not just what he does. It's what he allows other players to do. He's given Bruno a bit of freedom and Ericsson a bit of freedom to, to play. You could see the game passing Ericsson by at the weekend because Casemiro wasn't there. I think it's 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 not just freedom; it's confidence that mm. uh, they know that they're going to get this ball back in exactly the format that they want it at the right pace and in the right area and going in the right direction, as opposed to previously where somebody would have taken an extra couple of touches yeah. and they would have shuffled away, and all of a sudden it's back at the centre back, and you're like. What are we doing here, lads? Well, there was a nervousness around Fred and McTominay when they would get on the ball in that spot 10 yards outside their area as to what they would do. And understandably, because they would give it away too often, whereas with Casemiro, you trust him that when he gets it, he's going to hold on to it. It would have been fascinating to see what would have happened if he was there. You know, I was commentating on United a couple of weeks ago in the game against Bournemouth, which they won easily, but Bournemouth had sort of six, seven chances in the second half. And I was with Kenny Cunningham, and he was making the point that, yes, Casemiro is very good at what he does, but they are totally overrun in midfield, that a team that has energy, like Arsenal, can get at Ericsson and Casemiro as good as he is, because he just can't cover the amount of ground that he needs to. So, is it... They probably need somebody else still in there alongside Who him. Who were the centre-backs, that they? That game against... For, for United? Uh, it, well, Luke Shaw was back at left-back, so I'm going to go with... Was Lingard playing? It was uh, Lindelof and Maguire actually Sorry, were the centre back that time. Lindelof, yeah, uh, that night. So one I, time, the two of them back in. Yeah, I, so there is a bit of that as the uncertainty that they bring oh, in, and you, you see that every time Maguire, there's such a lack of trust amongst United fans, particularly at Old Trafford, that every time Maguire comes on the pitch, there's a. <gasps> 
and he seems to feel it, the team seems to feel it, and that nervousness just sort of trickles through absolutely everybody. It was such a stupid tackle against Crystal Palace. Like that's the one thing with Casemiro. Like, what was he thinking? I know. Like, he was yeah. looking not to be sent off. It was such a reckless challenge um, that he ends up costing his team, and now they need to try and go and regain a little bit of momentum again with just one point in six. But look, I think Casemiro's nailed on for the team. Uh, the three in front of them: Saka, Odegaard, Rashford. Rashford is probably the one where it feels like there's a bit of recency bias, like. What Miguel Almiron did before the World Cup, is that better than what Rashford has done since the World Cup? You could definitely make an argument for it. I think Saka and Odegaard are absolutely nailed on, like, you know, both up in seven, eight goals this season. Saka's performance uh, on Sunday against Manchester United, uh, I just think, brought him to a whole other level. Uh, Odegaard, as the captain, the control he's showing in games, again, contributing with goals over the last few weeks. I certainly didn't see either of these two getting to this level this season mm, this soon. for this Arsenal team. Yeah, uh, slightly under uh, well, not, uh, pre pre Christmas pre World Cup, I was like, oh, they should cash in Rashford now. This former's back. I've changed my mind on that. It's uh, fair to say that I've I've come. No, he has to keep doing it. So he's got what nine Premier League goals. But let me like, let me let me, finish, a- let me finish my point. <laughs> so, uh, but in the papers today, Ten Hag is like mm. trying to woo him to sign. That's a power shift. Please don't go to PSG. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, I think it looks repeatable, though, Nathan, right? It looks like... Well, it does. Like his, the goal he scored uh, at the weekend was top drawer. But we probably thought it was repeatable and it would never stop. And again, the very, very top players, it does never stop. So he needs to get to 20 goals. What's his best? 17 in the Premier League? And we sort of thought that season when United were brilliant under Solskjaer, he'd just kick on again. Didn't happen. So... Bring this run to the end of the season, get to 20 Premier League goals, then sign your new contract and be the guy that they can rely on yeah. over the next couple of seasons. He's not moving. From within Shaw, he loves to fight, born to play in red and white. That's what the United yeah, fans do. There's, there's many a United fan who's had lots of great chance through the years. Who's, I'd um, imagine going to PSG, though. Yeah, it would be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're also going to PSG. He won't, though. He won't. You'd assume if he goes to PSG, he's going to replace Kylian Mbappe, which is. Mm. Yeah. Not the easiest task in the world. No, but if Mbappe leaves, the PSG fans will be desperate for somebody good to come and replace. So it is it is difficult, but equally, you would be coming with a slightly different attitude where, you know, the manager still picks the team and the baggage uh, isn't there that Mbappe, whenever he leaves, will uh, will take with him. Um, we, are, we, are we making enough of Saka? Uh, again, recency bias, but like if the World Cup was picked England pick their team now you'd be like oh my god these guys they're pretty good well, I think Zach has been you know at it right since <clears> the start <throat> of the season um, you know there's probably been he's been of the front three Martinelli again maybe he's just had a little dip over the last couple of weeks where he's the first guy to come off who's the footballer of the year uh, Erling Haaland is the footballer of the year definitely uh, like he's, he's doing what we expect him to do in a team that dominates all the games. I understand you still have to do it, but what Saka is doing at 21 is like dragging Arsenal. Okay, not single-handedly, and it's not single-handedly at all. Possi- like quite possibly, if if he's Arsenal in- end up winning the league by seven eight points and the decision is made, he's a in- young English player. Do you give him? But you know, no, it, Manchester it, City take, never take, win. They take, never get the player of the league, season award when they deserve us. Take all that out, right? Take <clears throat> take all the like the how it'll vote, but like he, he's in the conversation by any sane metric. Absolutely, absolutely, and like that's the criticism and the struggle that Manchester City players have in this all of the time that like they should win. 
Mm. They have the best team. They have the best depth. They have the best group of players. So for Saka to be the best player in a team that really shouldn't be anywhere near that level and to raise his game and to raise everyone around him's game, absolutely he should be in the, in the running. But I think Odegaard as well, like in the middle, far more involved in the game at times, has to be in that mix. Okay. Like, you know, Odegaard, like he's such a brilliant story from the position he was in, from like, how many players are as talented as he has at 14, 15, making his international debut at 15 for Norway, go to Real Madrid, you're wondering if it'll work out. You know, he played in Dublin a few years ago for the Norway under-21s against Ireland, and you're sort of looking at him going, what happened to this guy? He was that Real Saucy dad at the time. But to come to Ar- Arsenal, and now he's most certainly in contention for player of the season, for the best player, the best midfielder in the Premier League. Like, he's right. the best midfielder in the Premier League. Uh, up top, then, I've gone for the guy that has really just transformed football as we look at it. Evan uh, Erling Haaland got in there. <laughs> oh, just nearly of, Evan Ferguson. Just ahead of uh, Evan Ferguson. Just oh, ahead of Evan Ferguson. Snuck him in. Uh, yeah, it's almost just become you know, right. another hat trick. On we go with our lives. The expect- like, how will he ever live up to this next season? Well, just do it again. <laughs> That's what Terminators do. Uh, unstoppable. And so, uh, is there an official word from your, your with, uh, what? What's your club? Jude's, is it? I, I do not represent. Um, I only represent Ali myself. Ali And so, myself. is there like general agassness at, at um, there? But for the grace of God, go they or they like? Well, in fairness, um, I would say you know Jude's would take getting to an All Ireland final. Now, I definitely sound like I'm from Mayo saying that. <laughs> True. Um, right. Yeah. Well, you know, Kilmer Club beat them in the Dublin final last year. So, Nathan, good stuff. You wish them well. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. You know. hey, Jude. All, all the Dublin clubs uh, bandy together on the south side, don't they? And get behind each other. Of course. That's what happens. Yeah. I'm a north sider. I wouldn't know. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. We're switching our attention to the Australian Open. And to do that, I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by Catherine Murphy, live from Melbourne. Catherine, it is an inevitable procession for Novak Djokovic, isn't it? Surely at this stage? It really feels that way. Hello to you, Jer. He was so dominant against the Australian Alex de Menor. I have never witnessed domination like that on a tennis court. I feel a little bit vindicated, Jer, because in his post-match interview, he said something that I thought, there's my evidence. For a few years, I have felt like Novak Djokovic is a such a high level that sometimes he drops a set and I'm convinced he has decided to do that. I'm convinced that sometimes he's thinking you know I haven't had enough matches in build-up events I'd like a four-setter for my fitness or maybe juror it's because he's just at such a high level he gets a bit bored with the opposition he becomes complacent he drops the set in that win over Alex Demonor he spoke to Jim Courier on court after who is such a good post-match interviewer and Jim Courier said to him I'm not going to ask you how you beat Alex Demonor but I'm going to ask why in front of a packed Aussie crowd who wanted a long night at the tennis. Like, these are crowds that have got used to staying up for Andy Murray till 4am. Why are we all on our way home? Why'd you beat him that way? And he said, because I wanted to. And it was chilling the way he said it. And he finished the interview with a massive warning to his opponent tonight, Andre Rublev. He said, you know, playing against Andre Rublev will be similar. They're similar players with similar styles. So I hope the result's the same. It was so 
chilling. It was like, I'm going to win this. Oh, and he also said the words, I don't want to celebrate too early, as if there was an option at the Australian Open that the rest of the draw can go, actually, do you want to give them the trophy now? We'll keep playing for ranking points and prize money, but we all know the outcome. I've never seen a situation at the Australian Open where we feel like we know the winner and the countdown is on to his trophy presentation. But you never know. And that's the great thing about sport. There's a there's a bit of a siege mentality, isn't there, Catherine, around Novak Djokovic at this tournament? Like he even referenced, you know, the narrative around his injuries, I think, at this tournament, which has clearly irked him a little bit. Shane, you're totally right. Now, the complicated part of those comments is that he made those comments in a Serbian media gathering with print journalists that we weren't party to. So we didn't get any of those quotes in English. And it's caused a bit of a stir because reportedly he told Serbian media that, you know, he feels like when other people have injuries, and I presume he's referring to Rafael Nadal, they're the victim. When he has an injury, he's faking it. Now, there were questions, audible questions, in the media seats at Rod Laver Arena when he started to destroy Alex Demonor because we're like, I'm sorry, he can't have a hamstring injury. And again, a great question by Jim Courier led him to say, I didn't feel any pain today. Then he went to that Serbian press gathering where he made those comments. He also reportedly made comments about Alex Demonor saying, we don't have a relationship. Now, a year ago, Alex Demonor was like a lot of players and I believe he said something to the effect that well you have to be vaccinated to play here now I'm not so sure that he uttered words that would suggest he's in some sort of feud with Alex Demonor and some of the papers ran with that and as you know guys that's the great thing about off the ball and it's the great thing about TV you can't take people out of context because you hear the tone in what they're saying, which you don't in print, which can make it dangerous. But it caused a lot of headlines. It upset Alex Demonor, who then tweeted saying, why did the media always have to make a controversy and a headline out of everything? I was outclassed and outplayed. So I felt for Alex Demonor that he was upset by some of the coverage. But it's never dull. That's one thing, that's for sure, with Novak. No, we're 10 minutes away from the uh, the start of his uh, next match. I, I do want to just point out one thing. We were talking about Breakpoint, the new Netflix um, series on the show last week. Every single one of them, every single one of them who took part in it, dead this week. Gone. No thanks. It's like... That is true. And can I, this is an important point you raised because I was really triggered yesterday. I saw that Johnny Sexton was asked about the upcoming Netflix coverage of the Six Nations. And I was like, Johnny, you run so far away from that because you don't need to be injured or out of the World Cup. Please, guys, can you start a campaign to let Johnny Sexton know about the Netflix curse? Yeah. Because we don't want Johnny Sexton having any part of any Netflix curse ahead of the World Cup. And if Netflix are following the Six Nations, can I trust you to to sort that out for me. I was really concerned when I saw that. Having said that, it's good information to have now because we can just send them into, I mean, if they can only follow the All Blacks uh, for the rest of the year, we'd be happy enough with that. 
Oh, that'd be so good. Follow the All Blacks. And what about Eddie Jones? Look, we could talk for an hour about rugby, but Eddie Jones is already getting such publicity over here for rugby in Australia and rugby has really been struggling he has been on 7.30 one of the highest profile current affairs shows it's like he's gone on prime time over here to explain why he's back in Australia and I saw that on BBC 5 Live he was talking about Owen Farrell getting a hard time off English fans and Owen Farrell really gristling at the mention of Eddie and Eddie to me is just sounding like all my dreams have come true in rugby I'm I mean, he's over in Australia raising the profile of rugby while irking the English rugby players. I mean, it's going to be, it's funny already. It's already funny to watch. He's like Prince Harry. He's doing all the the media rounds, getting them done. Yeah, and it's brilliant because rugby has really struggled. And that was such a big story that on the first day of the Australian Open, I moved my sports bulletins out to the Australian Open and I ran with rugby first. And that's unheard of. That's the Eddie effect. Wow, that is interesting because we, we talked to Matt Williams a good bit about how the game uh, needed something and, and maybe the Messiah figure uh, of Eddie Jones is going to fix that. Can, just to, to wrap up on the tennis, um, the the women's semifinals at this stage, it's very difficult to pick a winner from that um, what do you think is going to happen there? I think that Elena Rybakina has been so outstanding and I think she's very motivated because she's a reigning Wimbledon champion that just manages to creep under the radar. She isn't even scheduled in the high-profile matches despite she's the reigning Wimbledon champion. Now, I think there's a reason for that, Jure, because when she won Wimbledon, of course, Russian and Belarusian players had been banned from the tournament and she was born in Moscow but changed her affiliation to Kazakhstan a number of years ago but she was in a tough position at that tournament of almost I felt like she didn't want to talk about herself she didn't want her story to be known and she even had to face questions about that when she won so she's just gone under the radar she's been so impressive here it's so open though Arena Sabalenka she has been so impressive now 12 months ago in Australia Arena Sabalenka could barely serve. She had massive serving yips. Everyone was talking about it. In fact, they're still asking her about it because the turnaround has been so great. She won a tournament in the build-up to the Australian Open in Adelaide, and she looks in amazing form. And we've always known she has the game to win a Grand Slam, but she struggled mentally with those serving yips. But it looks like it's all coming together for her. So, Rybakina as a rank, I think Rybakina is going through to the final and I'd be backing Sabalenka, even though Magdalenette, being in the final four, she's 30 from Poland and she's into a semi-final of a Grand Slam. She's never even been past the third round at a Grand Slam before and she is not the Polish player we thought we'd be talking about. We thought it would be all about the world number one, Iga Swiatek. So it's been really surprising. I will say one thing about women's tennis right now. I miss the Williams sisters. They had a star power that they brought to events, like a vibe, like when the Williams are in the house, Things are different. Just like when the big three are in the house, we're down to the big one with Rafa's departure. And there's a different vibe, you know, where you don't have those, and particularly Serena, 
an icon of the sport is missing and that star power is gone. So what I'd really love to see in women's tennis, because Ash Barty, she won a Grand Slam on three different surfaces. So a surface slam, then retires after the Australian Open. Tennis needs a superstar, like an Emma Raducanu or a Coco Goff. I would have loved to see them go further into the draw, Jura and Shane, just because they have that bit of star power about them and that's a little bit missing this year Alright, Catherine, great to have you with us as ever Thanks a million for making the time for us, cheers Thank you, Jura and Shane That's uh, Catherine Murphy on the line from Australia this morning at the Australian Open in Melbourne OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day Time for me to tell you about the fact that Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB Braeburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green store near you with new Braeburn locations popping up every month. Visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn coffee experience. Uh, now, after this break, we're going to switch our attention back to what's going to happen with Glenn and Kilmico Croaks. What are the options? We'll be joined by the former GA president, Nikki Brennan, back in a moment. OTB. 27 minutes past 8 on this Wednesday morning, so to be on time to continue, as Jer said, the Glenn Kilmacud-Croaks followed. Delighted to welcome to the show this morning the former GEA president, Nicky Brennan. Morning, Nicky. How are things? Uh, very good, guys. Very this, good. Uh, this is a bit of a mess, isn't it? Well, yeah, I suppose it's one way of putting it all right. But it was always going to be a process. I think uh, we've been hearing a lot in the last couple of days about Rule 6.44, but I don't think anybody's mentioned Rule 6.43. It says the award of a game rests with the committee in charge, acting on the referee's support. So we have to say that the referee's uh, matches are decided ultimately by what's in the referee's support. 99.999% of the time, that's pretty routine. We all know the result. The referee will file the report. That's the end of it. But if there is uh, something that has happened in the game, the committee in charge have an obligation to wait to see would the referee include anything in his report. Now, I have no idea if Derek Amani included anything in his report in relation to the substitutions that took place uh, in uh, Croke Park on Sunday. Uh, and actually, uh, while I was in Croke Park on Sunday, I was tied up uh, doing interviews after the hurling game, so I didn't get to see any of the football game. But it's pretty obvious that uh, extra players were used at the end of the game and could be deemed to have had a uh, bearing on it. So they had to wait for the referee's report. And if the uh, GA, in my view, acted purely on the basis of what they saw themselves, they could be setting a very dangerous precedent. Now, I think, uh, so that's why the onus is put on Glenn. This is not the first time this has happened. This is a, a common occurrence where uh, the team that loses the game, if it feels it has uh, lost the game in a manner that wasn't within the rules of the game, then they have the right to appeal. And I suppose that's the, that's the rationale behind it, because anything could happen if you just, uh, if the committee in charge, in this case, the central CCCC, took upon the, themselves to make the decision to replay the game it could open a big can of worms. And so I'd say that's, was the, that's my view of what the thinking was on it. Okay. Can you explain the can of worms to us, though? Because I'm not really, I don't really understand what the can of worms is when a, a procedural issue like this, which is clear and everybody, the facts are agreed, everybody agrees there's 16 men on the field when that ball is, is kicked in at the last moment. Once that is established, whether or not it's in the referee's report, apparently it wasn't, is, is the information that we're given. But, you know, may, maybe that's incorrect. That, that has been reported. But what, what kind of worms would there be if the GEA at that point, which under their rules they're entitled to, said, you know, we think there's been an issue here, we're investigating it, and we'll have an announcement for you. Like, why, I suppose, I, I, I get your point, right, that uh, they're, they're, they're following part of their own rules, they're ignoring another part of the rules which would have allowed them to intervene. But it does speak to a lack of leadership in a situation where the biggest game of the year has been tarnished. 
I think you may have put your finger on it there. You're talking about the biggest game of the year. Well, obviously, the biggest game of the year in a club football context, of course, you're spot on there. I think the issue here is this was a, profi- a high-profile game. It was uh, pretty evident before the game, the final whistle was blown, that there was an issue in relation to the extra players on the field, particularly in relation to the last substitution, where uh, the Kilmacud player that was supposed to come off was actually still on the field and in a prominent position to defend their goal. So uh, that that's a, a fair point that you're making there. But because this game was high profile, it was on TV, it was had multimedia coverage, uh, it was very obvious to people that an indiscretion took place. So if the, if the body controlling this game, the, the national CCCC, I took the decision. The game has been uh, replayed full stop and no more about it. And that's fair enough on one hand and one level. And you're correct that you could construe that absolutely from the rule. But what happens when we get down to lesser profile games where a club deems there is an indiscretion? There's no cameras. There's no reporters. The referee doesn't see it. And they feel that there's as much injustice on their side as well if the game is not replayed because the opposing team uh, did have more than 15 players on the field. So I think that is the concern. And I'm only surmising here, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm thinking that's probably what the JR are, are saying and uh, and while the rule doesn't specifically state that, I think they're cautioning on the fact that if this is, if they make a decision on this, then it, that's why I'm saying it could potentially open a can of worms down for lesser games where there's no TV coverage, no radio coverage, and uh, there is no way of knowing that it actually happened, other than if the referee puts it in his report. Are you surprised, Nicky, that the GA haven't been more vocal, that we haven't heard from the President or the Director General in, in recent days? Well, not really. I mean, the point about it is when it comes to matters like this, it is the uh, the CCC, have, have the, they're the people who are dealing with the matter. It's not really up to the president or the director general to interfere in the workings of a committee at this stage. I mean, it, may, it, it could potentially get to that at some stage, but I think it's up to the CCC. Bear in mind the referee's report probably was only submitted uh, at the earliest on Monday, possibly Tuesday. So they, they have to work around that. I am quite sure that Derry Kent and his committee have been engaging in a, in a conference call to know uh, to discuss the matter and to uh, to consider their options and look at what the situation might be. But it's, I mean, think back to the infamous meat loud game back at the time. A very similar scenario arose. Now, I know, to be fair, God rest him, Seamus Howland was a personal friend of mine, uh, no longer with us. He he would have engaged with me to see was there any possibility of maybe getting a, getting a, them to agree to a replay because his hands were tied and he felt his hands were tied as well on the basis that if the if the Leinster Council ruled that that game must be replayed it, it would it could have huge knock on effects for games within the uh, within well within nationally not just within the province yeah I, I do wonder that's an interesting point right in retrospect wouldn't that have been the right thing to do though I think we all agree that like uh, a replay of that game would would morally have been the right thing to do and then if the rule book needs to catch up with that you make changes I I, I think that um the rule book is great and obviously you need it in an organisation which has a gazillion games every year. But there are definitely moments where there's an opportunity to step forward and say there's a problem here with the rules and there's a problem with the implementation of the rules and we all need to do the right thing. Like we were asking earlier on, what's the right thing to do in this instance? If you take away, strip away the rules and the procedures, what's your instinct, you know, as a, as a, as a GAA man to the core, what's your instinct about what the right thing to do here is? Yeah, the right thing to do here is replay the game. So I, I have no problem saying that whatsoever. But you made a very good point there about the rules. We're going to have the GA Congress in a couple of weeks' time. Now, it's probably too late to put motions into that. But I, I wish people now who are talking about the rules and that the GA shouldn't, should, that needs clarity, let them sit down and let them put wording on the rule that would enable what you've just said to happen. 
But bear in mind that from an association point of view, while the club final is is the pinnacle of any club player's uh, game, the GA would look at it that it's no different than if it was a, a junior B game down in some other county as well. The same set of rules must apply. You can't have two different rule books. So how that would be interpreted within a rule to deal with something that is you're, it's morally right that there be a replay. But it's not just as simple as that. If you're if you're if you're playing around with the rules like that, uh, you you certainly will be causing yourself some difficulty and difficulty to officers around the country in their interpretation of that rule relating to their own competition. So that's how I see it. Notwithstanding the moral issue that you 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 quite rightly uh, bring forward. And is there something in? I don't know, streamlining the substitution process because it is well, chaos. I mean, obviously, no, no. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is, is that last Sunday uh, was a clear case of of the of the probably the whole uh, refereeing team in Croke Park. Uh, there's two issues I'd say here. Maybe they, they needed to be clearer. They needed to be absolutely clear that the player going on did not go on the field until the player that was going off. Now that didn't happen. However, we all know that in the closing stages of games. Uh, and not just in, in the All-Ireland Finals. There is a clamour to put on additional players. It seemed to be running down the clock or whatever it might be. So it becomes very tricky that no matter what the fourth official might say to the player, you can't go on yet. The guy is probably 20 yards in on the field because he's been roared at by his manager. All very understandable in a panic situation to get in and defend there quick. And it's under, I, I cannot see how... They, they, Mullen was still on the field and defending the goal area. He probably didn't even get the message to, to actually come off. So it, there probably needs to be something looked at there that the referee simply does not allow play to continue until he gets the thumbs up from the fourth official that everything has been done according to plan because of the, the, the general pandemonium that's at the end of games when they're very tight. I'm aware we're, we're talking hypotheticals here to some extent, Nicky, but so Glenn have objected to the result. So say now the CCCC come out and, and say... It's a replay. What happens if Kim McCudd turn around and say, no, we're not going to play a replay? That's a good question. Uh, you'll be into probably some new territory there. And, uh, I mean, this is... A, obviously, the ball is now very much back in the CCC court now that Glenn have formerly... Uh, and you, we, we all know what the what the the options of the, the CCC are. In my view, the, the, the option is likely... And again, I'm speculating here. I know no more about it than you guys do, that there will be a replay. Now, Kilmer could have a couple of days to assess that situation and uh, put their own. And it might very well be that you'll be having a conversation with somebody else in a couple of days about uh, what decision that Kilmer could makes if if they're not amenable to a replay. So, look, that's maybe hypothetical as of now, but it's not an unreasonable issue to be putting putting forward. So, uh, you've got a contingency plan for all outcomes here. Like, more than likely... I, I don't know. What's your instinct about what the CCCC would do under these circumstances? Because there's a lot of wiggle room for them in the rules. They can um, forfeit the game, they can fine Kilmacud, but allow Kilmacud to continue to have it, and they can just allow Kilmacud, or they can order the replay. I don't think they can just... Yeah, so the fine would be uh, Kilmacud or champions. Uh, is there a scenario where pressure is brought to bear on Glenn for them to be offered the replay, but to turn it down as well? I suppose there's all sorts of possibilities, but I mean, I don't think there's pressure per se on Glenn. I think in fairness to Glenn, they were left in a very tricky position and it wasn't easy. I mean, their manager after the game more or less indicated that was it, this result was there and that's the end of it. But I mean, to be fair to the club when they sat down and analysed this and realising that 
the only way the matter could be dealt with, uh, unless just was forgotten about, was to lodge an, uh, lodge an objection. They knew that because they would have engaged with Croke Park, I suspect, on the Monday. So uh, there's no there's no fault on Glenn's part here. I mean, it's not an easy thing for a club to lodge an objection here, and they do have my they do have my sympathies. In fairness, but equally in Kilmacrud's Cork's case, they didn't go out to intentionally put in players. It, I can say that was a, a level of panic set in across the sideline. They got subs in. They needed to get players off. It didn't all happen in the sort of unison that you would normally see attached to substitutions uh, because of the uh, it was a panic situation. And bear in mind that Kilmacud had a similar situation last year uh, in, in in the final against Kilcoo as well, where it was a late score that changed the whole outcome of the game. So naturally enough, they were in a, a situation where they wanted to make sure that wasn't going to happen again. So I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be casting blame on, on anybody here. It's a, it's a thing that happens in in GA matches. Uh, and it'll happen again in the next couple of weeks in some other county, in some other game, or through the course of 2023. Uh, it's the nature of what we're doing, but we just have to make sure that the whole approach to substitutions maybe is is more formally organised. And if it means holding up the game, particularly in the latter the latter three or four or five minutes when they're ten, when that panic sets in and the tight game, so be it. If that's what a referee has to do, and I suspect referees will possibly be getting, well, at inter-county level at least, getting instructions to. Just be a bit more vigilant when it comes to that part of the uh, officiating. That that is ridiculous, though, Nicky, isn't it? That that the onus was put on Glenn. They were clearly not happy as a club when they released their statement to say that the onus was put on them. I mean, it's farcical that the GA would, as we were saying yesterday, wash their hands of it. And and look, it, it doesn't matter what the precedent is, or, or or you know the fact that they feel like they might have to intervene in junior games across the country if they intervene intervene here. The GA should yeah. never have left this up to Glenn. Well, look, I I can understand you making that comment, and 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 many people will agree with you there. I'm just trying to put forward a case of where the GA are concerned that if they just uh, took the decision themselves centrally that this game is going to be replayed without any recourse to either of the two teams because the, they saw that because they have yes they have the proof on television. I think it would set an enormous precedent in terms of the outcomes of games and make it very difficult for county boards in particular, where the majority of our games are not televised or not covered and may not even have a media person at those games and it becomes a can of worms where there is uh, where it's uh, people come in, in even neutrals who might have been at the game can come in and verify yeah there was a 16 person on the field and it did impact the, the potential outcome of a game I think that's the concern the GA have and if the rules have to be tidied up to accommodate that potential tricky situation well then so be it let the rules be changed but look I, it's 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 not hard and fast it's very easy to say the GA should have just stepped in and um, morally maybe you're right I, I there's certainly that side of it but I can see the bigger picture and the impact it potentially would have on, on games around the country from here on in if that decision was taken and that's why it hasn't been taken in the past there, there's, there's precedence here of where it's often said a county might offer to replay a match and it happened in, in some cases but that's that's just the situation the GA found itself in and uh, it can have some criticism for that but I can I can understand the process the way, that, the way it panned out in the last couple of days do you think, Nicky, that is your instinct that the game will be replayed and that Kilmacud will will play the game as opposed to refusing to play the game? That oh, I'm purely I'm purely speculating here, lads. I'm purely speculating. I think the game will probably be played in uh, obviously not the I don't think this coming weekend, possibly the weekend after next, and 
obviously it'll it'll uh, whatever the outcome the outcome will come um, we'll just have to wait and see and it's purely me speculating here on a Wednesday morning what might the outcome be maybe there'll be developments during the course of today as the CCC meets maybe uh, Kilmacud might take uh, a different reaction to being asked to play uh, I don't know but I'm, I'm purely I'm purely speculating toss of a kind there will be a replay and it'll be a a dinger of a game again. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be the most high-profile club game in a very long time. I would, I would, I would think so. I think it would be. Uh, yeah, now the speculation will probably end up in the, the, the where is it? Where where will they where will they have the replay? Uh, will they play the next one up in uh, up the country someplace? So look, look, it's going to mean uh, many column inches, many minutes of talk on radio and TV for the next while. Sure, it's. Uh, it, it does create a bit of an extra bit of buzz at this time of the year, maybe that uh, wasn't expected. A hundred percent, Nicky. Good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. You're welcome, guys. It's, uh, Nicky Brennan, former president of the GA, there says, uh, giving us his views. Uh, Chris F says, "What if Glen were winning the replay, coming down to the last kick? What would stop Kilmacud just putting in an extra player and just forcing another replay?" Uh, I think in that instance, if it didn't have a material impact, then you have the material impact issue, right? Like in this instance. We don't know if it had a material impact or not. And Nicky rightly brings up, so if the if the excuse is it's it's caused by panic, mm-hmm. is that panic then transmitted to the players who are thinking about Kilku and last minute goals in the same stadium in the same and you know yeah what's to say they I, same I, end of the same stadium yeah you know and, and maybe maybe they would have cleared it and they didn't need the sixteenth man, but um, the right thing has been done, the appeal has been lodged. It's up to the CCCC now to make some decisions and, and convince everybody that the right thing to do is to play the game and not, not. Like, both teams might might, might go, no, no, not yeah. doing it, not doing you it. See, Taking my ball, I'm going home. News now isn't the CCCC announcing the replay because we're, that's what we're expecting now. What, what, what comes after that is the interesting part, whether Glenn or Kilmacud decide not to play. Well, yeah, one of them or both of them or either Man. of them or, you know, if they both agree to the replay, play the game. Grand, but I, I have my suspicions now one of them is going to decide not to play the replay and I don't know which one. It's 8.43. It's time for John Duggan's Virtual Insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! In the words of Family Guy's Glenn Quagmire, all right. <laughs> that was, that's the best headline. That's your headline? Glenn Quagmire. Glenn Quagmire, yeah. Uh, Glenn um, Close was Philly again, but that was a close, close to Glenn Quagmire, but not, yeah, not yeah. just not, no cigar, <laughs> uh, which we'll all be smoking after this. So the Farmers Insurance Open, uh, as you all know, starts today, don't you? Uh, because the NFL is on Sunday, and the US TV companies want to have the golf now move from today until Saturday. So this is a Wednesday to Saturday tournament, which starts five o'clock Irish time today. No joy the first two weeks. Don't worry, you know, forty to fifty tournaments this year. It's a long term game. Um, tie for 18th I think was the best we had last week so look we go again this week we had the winner of this tournament last year Luke List so I've picked uh, a good few golfers but we're just going to concentrate on three for this slot this morning the headline tip for the Farmers Insurance Open is Maverick McNeely of course it is at 30 to 1 for 5 each way Maverick McNeely whose father I think ran Sun Microsystems one of the richest men in the United States doesn't even need to play golf but he's so good at it, he does it. He's from the area of California. This tournament being played at Tarry Pines near San Diego. And Maverick McNeely, 
um, was normally uh, formerly the number one amateur in the world. He was a really good college golf player. He was on the Walker Cup team with Scotty Scheffler, Wells Alatoris, Colin Marikama back in 2017. And Maverick McNeely has never been happier with his game. Three top tens in his last uh, seven starts, including the tie for seventh on his last event in Hawaii, the Sony Open. Um, he puts better than any other player in this field on the greens they're going to encounter this week at the South Course, the Poa Anua Greens. Uh, he was 15th in this tournament in 2020. He was tied eighth going into the final round last year before slipping back. But I think he's playing better than he's ever has, um, Maverick McNeely. So he's a long hitter, good putter, 30 to 1 for five each way. I think he can upset the favourites this week. Is that the best golf name, Maverick McNeely? Um, Duffy Waldorf was always good. Fred Funk oh. was always a good one. Um, Dickie Pride. Always like that one as well. Um, there's, there's, Fuzzy you know, Zeller. Fuzzy Zeller, that's it. Um, plenty of... Um, a few corkers in there. A few corkers, yeah, for the Americans. But Maverick McNeely, who's got a brother, I think, called Scout McNeely. What did you say, Dickie... No, not Dickie what? Dickie Pride. Dickie Pride. Yeah. Right. I think I prefer Maverick to Scout. Yeah. You know? You yeah. go ahead there first and get shot, and I'll be the one that, you know, flies in in my uh, fighter jet and rescues everything. Absolutely, absolutely. So Maverick McNeely, the headliner. Five He's about the right age to be named after Top Gun, right? Uh, like, I'd love to ask him. Yeah. Maverick, are, are you, like he has to be. What year is he born in? He's a real underdog story, of course. So I don't know what, what year that equates to. Maverick McNeely. I'm going to find out more about this guy. So he's um, born in 1995. Hopefully he, hopefully he won't be goosed by the end of this. Hey. Hey. Will Zalatoris is the second one. Uh, of all the principals with Ram, Marikawa, uh, Justin Thomas all in this week, I think Zalatoris is the best of them at 16-1 to 1 for 3 each way. Lost in a playoff in this event last year. Loves the South course. Um... One in August to the FedEx St. Jude. We had him that week. Then he hurt his back, but his back is now okay. He says he's healthy. He's had eight rounds in the 60s for his two events. Will Zalatoris, the best player tee to green on the tour last year. If the putts can drop, I think 16 to 1. He's one of the solid guys around the top. And then the third one is Taylor Pendrith for two each way at 66 to 1. Canadian Taylor Pendrith was 16th in this last year in his first appearance. A really long hitter of the golf ball. Um, I think I'd, what... He had, what, six, uh, five top 13 finishes and six starts last season after coming back from an injury. Taylor Pendrith is one of these players I think is going to definitely win this year on the tour. I think he's a good each by price of 66 to 1. So these are the three this week. And we also have a new podcast for Virtual Insanity. So I picked a few others. And the bonus content is on the podcast network right now. So there's a few other golfers and a few bit of rationale for a few other players on the podcast network for OTB. So we have these three lads, the three main ones, but also the bonus players, uh, which you want to listen to if you want to get a full appraisal of the Farmers Insurance Open. JD, good stuff. All right, lads. Thanks very much for that. Uh, any further thoughts on... Uh... Uh, well, the right thing's been done uh, to put it back into the hands of the GAA. And I think that the lesson out of all of this is that there needs to be more of a deliberative process around substitutions uh, going forward in all levels of, of the association. And whether it's like soccer where you hold up a board and a player goes off and it's, it's logged and then you've got to... I do think, um, so Martin Brandy makes two points in the papers today. One I completely disagree with. One I very much agree with. It's the amount of time. He, he sat and recorded the amount of time. The whole point of the, the substitutions coming on at the end, as is, is uh, explained afterwards, is to kill the clock, you know? And uh, it works. It really works. Like, But it shouldn't work. It's like uh, the clock should stop or there should yeah, be... You need a hooter in Gala Games now, like the ladies. Well, mm. I, I, I think that if, the, if every club game had an extra automatic... Seven minutes, you know, was the was the minimum amount of of added time. Then all of a sudden, this wouldn't happen. You know, you you have to World Cup added time. Exactly, it it really works. Mm. It really it really stops the nonsense of uh, of those meaningless substitutions or whatever. Um, and like loads loads of different conversations need to happen off the back of this. Uh, that would be one. That would be a fairly automatic. You know, every single substitution that gets made. Every time you make it, we're going to add 45 seconds minimum. 
So then all of a sudden you're like, well, am I going to make these? Because I have to defend for another 90 seconds if I make these two subs. Are you better making the subs in the 60, say the 59th minute or the 62nd, 63rd? I wonder which way it wastes more time. Like just before they announce the added time or is it within the added time? See, clubs and GA managers have worked all this out. They know how to get around the, the, the rules and bend them and time waste. Like in the club that said themselves after the match that that's, that was the purpose. The GA need to do what they did in Brexit, take back control. That worked out really well. <laughs> yeah. Did you talk much about McElroy and Reid? A, a little bit. Yeah, what, yeah. What, you, um, I just think it's funny. Nathan's a bit sceptical that it's, it's being uh, blown into too much here, but I'm not sure. I think that, like, you know, Patrick Reid is a, he's an excitable chap. Uh, I can't, you cannot mention Patrick Reid now without getting sued, so be very careful. Careful not. Well, he, he lost his first case. I think there's another one brewing. Uh, I read about another one last week. Right. I think without his name even being mentioned. So maybe I should even mention. Imagine I got like stuck with a two billion dollar lawsuit for mentioning Patrick Reed and saying something about him at the Dubai. You work in overtime, John. There'd oh. be a go for me, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Virtual insanity is, is suddenly isn't virtual. Uh, Nathan's golf name suggestion is Tag Ridings. Tag uh, Ridings. Yeah, Tag Ridings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was that, that natural name. That is, yeah, one that he was a journeyman pro on the PGA Tour uh, for for many years. I'll, I'll, I'll have thought of one by the time I walk out the studio. I'm He's sure. from Oklahoma, that explains it. Fielding Brewbaker? Don't remember him now. Is a Brewbaker's coffee shop in, in Dublin? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Could be connection. Right. All right, lads. John, good stuff. Um, one of the one of the things that happened this week was one of our listeners got in touch. Oh, yeah, they did. You might enjoy this, John, as well. Um, so, Jer's a fan of Limericks. We all are. Not Limerick the County. Well, Limerick the County is brilliant as well, but Limerick's the poem. The, the manner of poem you've got so, another thing coming here you've got another couple of things coming here John so strap, strap yourself in uh, John Lee he got in touch one of our, our viewers I think we, we can have it up on screen it was, it was an Arsenal based Limerick uh, Arteta's boys triumphed once more so this was after Arsenal beat United at the weekend and so a great game of ball both sides gave it their all but the Red Devils failed and the Gunners prevailed once again Arteta stands tall so this gave us an idea we were like do you know what we, sh- we should be getting more listeners to send us in Limericks on any topic well, what type of Limericks uh, shit ones <laughs> so shit limericks I guess is the name of the specifically yeah specifically. We, don't, we don't want your good ones no no no, 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 no definitely don't want ones. your good ones just like uh, shit London Guinness shit limerick limerick essentially <laughs> essentially yeah <laughs> yeah. shit Irish limericks and and uh, Cameron Hill our own Cameron Hill we we said you know what this Glenn Kilmacud stuff it's not going to go away all week so we'll write a few limericks about it so Cameron uh, penned one which I think we can get up on screen uh, there once was a team from Glenn who got to a final and then they well took their shot, but it all came to naught against Kilmacud Croak's extra men. It's not bad. I have to say, it's not bad. Um, if you're watching right now, keep the comments coming in. We've got a few more for you. Uh, Cameron also brought our attention to uh, this great Brendan Behan uh, quote. So, as you'll see on screen, the discussion reminded me of a story about Brendan Behan. The writer was once invited to Oxford to take part in a debate about the difference between prose and poetry. His opponent spoke for almost two hours. Behan rose to his feet and promised to be brief. He recited an old Dublin rhyme. There was a young fellow named Rollox who worked for Ferrier Pollux. As he walked on the strand with a girl by the hand, the water came up to his ankles. That, declared Behan, is prose, but if the tide had been in, it would have been poetry. So uh, I've, I've decided to try a couple of... Uh, that, that was like limericks. his uh, seagulls followed the trawler moment. Yes, exactly. My first effort here is, is probably prose along the same line as, uh, as Behan. The Glen boys first took their beating. The glass broke, so Malachy's weeping. Kilmacud had their plan and a sneaky extra man, so was it a case of pure... Shithousery. <laughs> That's kind of along the lines of, of Behan. Uh, another effort. They, they probably get slightly better, I, th- I hope. 
if I can read these properly. Glenn were a bit wayward with the boot, but the margins were still minute. Two Crokes lads called ashore, the tannoy ignored, and the game's now in disrepute. Excellent. It's not bad, is it? Yeah. My third and final effort this morning. Kilmacud are a true guy machine, winning just seen as routine. Well, it is when you've Mannion and Walsh, his companion, made sure when you play with 16. Ooh, harsh. Very good. Very pro-Glenn. So there you go. It's quite pro-Glenn. But, I mean, if people want to send in some pro-Kilmacud limericks this We will read them out. We will read them out. Don't um, worry. So get your creative juices flowing. It's, it's our new segment called Shit Limericks, which we'll do <laughs> however regularly we see fit. <laughs> it's, we'll uh, get a sting and we'll get some music for the next time as well. It's 8.53 this morning. Uh, Alison is by far the best keeper this season. Surprised the Liverpool fans didn't pick him. The Liverpool fan didn't pick him. They'd be way worse without him. Uh, this is uh, Nathan's team of the year. Laughable. Shaw, Martinez and Varane have been outstanding. Wouldn't swap them three for any on his team of the season, says Philip Nolan, who's a Manchester United fan, obviously. Um, the Athletic report that Queen Keller has expressed a desire to play some more football. I mean... <laughs> no. Is that what your subscription's for? <laughs> is this... Um, for who? For whom? Well, it's a good point. Is he actually asking for a move in the last week of the transfer window or is it like you've got to prepare yourself so start buying a goalkeeper because I want to go out and loan next season? Mm. Needs to play. Needs to play. I don't know who he goes to though. Well, you know, Bazunu bloodied but unbowed last night uh, playing in a team. I, like, uh, There's been a lot of criticism of Bazunu. I think it's massively unfair. It'd be interesting to see if he has a season in the Championship next year, if they do go down, is he the best goalkeeper in the Championship by a mile? He may well be, but he's not going to lose his place, it doesn't look like. No. Nope. Um, so if Keller was to play and get a move, that could be interesting. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> if Dean Henderson doesn't stay put at Forest, if he comes back to United or moves elsewhere, then maybe there'll be a, an opening there ahead of Wayne Hennessy for Cuevin Kelleher. club like that. I mean, he doesn't want to be a backup anymore. He's not going to the Tottenham no, unless they get rid no, of no, no, so. he's, gone, he's gone to play. Uh, Falty Bemi says, I love Owen's poems. <laughs> Owen's poems, what a great name, except this isn't Owen. <laughs> <laughs> Both ginger, people who think I'm ginger on, on air, and then they, they meet me in person, and they're like, oh, you're, not a, you're actually not ginger. You're actually reasonably strawberry blonde, so apparently my, my hair looks different. Not that there's anything wrong with either. No, 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 neither, neither. But they uh, all have lovely bottoms. They do, of course. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Owen, Owen is a good wordsmith as well. Kerry and Monaghan to to great homes or counties for for poetry. I need a drink at this stage. <laughs> John, you'd be a good man for Limerick, I'd say. So if you can, if you can get, I can have a, I'll have a think. I'll have a think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, any, on any topic, really. Good stuff, JD. Thank you much. More from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon, and you can subscribe to the podcast of Virtual Insanity as well for your weekly fix. Uh, Michael Kennedy says, are we getting to the point where teams will scrutinise every second of video from a match and object? Look, the final whistle went, the ref didn't see it, just fine, kill McCud and move on. I see plenty of people saying that uh, the impact of this is, is minor. Uh, and McGreal is on Twitter um, from the Mayo News saying he doesn't think it made any difference to the outcome. Like, I mean... How do you know? No one knows. What, like, what if, what if they'd blown up a minute early in last year's hurling final and Ballygunner hadn't scored their last second winner? Yeah, like, we'd be saying it had no impact. Sure, Ballyhill won by two. Weird stuff happens. Yeah. You got to expect the unexpected, especially uh, as you just have to play the game out. Yeah, it's chaotic at that stage of the game, so anything can happen. Um, now, look, the reality and the likelihood is that nothing would have happened had Kilmacud only had fifteen men on the pitch. But, but that's the point. We don't know exactly. Exactly, we don't know. And um, in the interest of fairness and the integrity of the competition, all you've got to do is make sure that uh, it's played out. Now, at this stage, if it doesn't get played out, that would be uh, not great. And won't reflect well on whoever makes the decision not to play it. Oh, 
It's going to be juicy the next 24 hours. 8.56 this morning. You're very welcome to OTBAM if you've just joined us. Uh, we've had a really good show so far. You can go back and subscribe to our podcast feed. That's the OTBAM podcast feed. You'll get that on the OTB Sports app. You'll also get it on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by Orla Farmer, recently retired six-time All-Ireland winner with Cork. Uh, Orla, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. The decision to finish up, was it straightforward? Was it complicated? Had you reached a natural end? Or were you thinking, I might give this one more year? I think every year now, it's one more year, one more year. Mm -hmm. But um, particularly the last year, I think it was kind of on my mind. And um, I suppose I have been on the road a long time as well. I was actually thinking back there. I've never missed a championship of football since I was 13 years of age. So it's been a long, but a very enjoyable journey. And... I think it just comes to a stage, I suppose, I'm getting a, a bit older now. Um, I, th- I turned ter- 30 last year and I think the body is, is slowing down a bit. And I think maybe I wasn't getting the same buzz as I used to as well um, when I was a bit younger. Um, just the kind of championship buzz feeling um, as much this year um, as I as I have previously. So, no, I, I think I have kind of other plans as well with my career and things. So I think it was just the right decision. Um, for this year coming and I'm I'm looking forward to the next chapter as well. When you say you haven't missed the championship season does that mean you haven't been injured for that whole time as well? You actually managed to play every year? Yeah, yeah. So fortunately enough um, I had the opportunity under 14 the whole way up to play um, in the red and white jersey. That's incredible. Yeah, you know it's been a massive privilege to represent my county and ever since I was a young girl that's all I ever wanted was to run out under the tunnel in Crow Park and um, with, with all the, the girls I looked up to and you know thankfully we, we had that success over the years as well, well those, That six in a row era uh, Orla of 2011 to 16 I know Orla Finn retired as well just a few days before yourself so it's the end of an era in some ways Ah uh, yeah it's, it is sad you know it is very emotional and especially because it's just such a massive part of my life both on and off the pitch as well um, and you know Orla like speaking of Orla Finn is that like we, we've been best friends since we were 13, like we both played together the whole way up, uh, all the way. We kind of started together and we finished together. So it has been very um, emotional the last few days. But I suppose look, that's, that's sport, that's life. Uh, you can't keep holding on for, forever. Um, I actually remember a few years ago, Eamon Ryan, um, our coach, um, he, he used to always kind of say to us, you know, never never take this for granted like you'll never do this training session again you'll never play this match again and you know you're you're you've only such a short span in your life that you can play at such a high level um uh, so just to maximize that and kind of make the most of it i think i don't really appreciate that until you know you come away from it really so i uh, look it, as i said that's just part of life that's sport and i am ready now um it, which makes it a bit easier like i've I've come to the, the fifth stage of, of grief, which is acceptance. So I've accepted the fact now that um, I'll no longer have the red and white jersey on the pitch, but for sure I'll be supporting on, on, on the stand. Do you take it for granted at the time, Orla? Because I'm thinking back, like that, that first All-Ireland win in 2011, when you're, when you're doing the parade before the match, you're not to know that it's the first of, of six All-Ireland wins in a row at, at the time. So, I mean, do any particular moments like that stand out for you? 
Ah, yeah. I mean, it's been it's been brilliant. Like it's to win six All Ireland medals in a row. Never ever thought that was was possible. Um, I suppose I was lucky enough to come into an already successful Cork Ladies football team with the likes of Breach Corkery and Rena Buckley, uh, Reid Stack, Val- Valerie Mulcahy. All those girls, like they were phenomenal, and they had won five in a row before I I even came came into the, the panel. So, um, I suppose we were lucky to kind of come into that you know, winning mindset and that momentum. Um, but I mean it's been it's been brilliant over the years. And I think when I when I think of standout moments like that in the All Irelands, definitely the first one because um thousand and eleven was my first All Ireland and it was a dream come true. I think as well the two thousand and fourteen All Ireland when we were down um against Dublin, ten points with like fifteen minutes to go, I think everyone can remember that game. Uh that was definitely a standout game as well. It, just the sheer excitement and joy of, you know, of, of coming back and beating the Dubs by a point as well. And I think 2016, the the Six All Ireland uh, for me personally meant a lot. And um, particularly as my family were all there as well, and I can just I have a really vivid memory of that game. Um, and I'll just never forget the hooter going off the last ten seconds. That was just a special moment. And of looking up at the stand, uh, just because you know year, years prior to that. I was sitting in the stand, you know, I was the young girl with my parents watching the court ladies and, um, you know, going out winning the Brendan Martin. And all of a sudden I just had that kind of moment where I looked off at the stand with the last 10 seconds to go. And that was special for me because, you know, my dreams had come true essentially. And um, I really, really appreciate it and, and enjoyed that game as well. We should be introducing you, I suppose, as, as Dr. Orla Farmer, not necessarily just Orla, but because you tweeted at the, uh, you know, when you were announcing your retirement, you tweeted, looking forward to the next chapter, inspiring the younger generation to participate, stay involved, and most importantly, enjoy sport. And that's a key word. Uh, so you're, you're a lecturer in sport education as well. You have a PhD in this topic. So I know keeping and getting young girls involved in sport is, is very, very important to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's um. So then I've I've been lucky that you know my career on the pitch has kind of translated to my career off the pitch as well, and you know empowering girls and coaches and teachers through sport has always been a passion of mine, um. And I I hope to continue that um onto the next chapter now, uh, with some travel and with some projects that I have in mind as well. But so speaking on the topic of of girls um in sport, like from my own PhD. Know some of the findings that I that came through for me, and it's important to kind of note as well, particularly for coaches, that you know when 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 I went out and asked girls like what why are you playing, what do you enjoy most about sport? Like the number one thing is having fun with their friends. Like that was a dominant theme coming through. I think it's important as well, and obviously girls are competitive and they want that challenge and they want to get the best out of themselves as well. But I do think it always falls back to you know, the, the friendships and, and the memories. And even for me personally, like, I mean, you know, I, I've six All-Ireland medals, but to be honest, like the medals don't really mean anything to me at the end of the day. It's, it's the friendships and it's the, the the memories that I've made and the people that I've been surrounded with. That's what I take from playing with, with Cork over the years. And that's what I'll continue to take for the rest of my life, essentially. So it's important, I think, sometimes we can get caught you know, into winning, winning, winning. But at the end of the day, like we have to listen to what young girls want as well. And they want to feel good about themselves at training. They want to be with their friends. And obviously it's fun to win as well. Um, and they want to, to enjoy that challenge. But on the other side then, you know, when, when asking what, why are you dropping out and what's stopping girls from getting involved? Ironically, it's the other, it's the other end of the stick. It's lack of enjoyment, 
coaches being too strict, you know, the environment may be too competitive. Girls like competitiveness, but maybe perhaps too competitive at a young, a younger age. Um, and this this notion of confidence as well, kind of skill related confidence. You know, if, if they're kind of comparing themselves, their friends, and they feel that they're not as good as as their friend at hand passing or kicking the ball, that can actually be a barrier as well uh, for young girls. So I think really it's just important to educate coaches and teachers and players uh, so that we can get more girls involved. Because I think one at the moment, I think it's one in two girls are dropping out of sport. And like that's such a worrying statistic, such a high and worrying statistic. So it was really it's trying to, you know, what can we do to try and get more girls to, first of all, come to the game and, and introduce, you know, and, and, and get them involved, but also to stay involved um, in sport. We've loads of coaches watching this morning. What's the, the best bit of advice, knowing what you know and, and, and with the data and information that you have and that you've processed, what's the best bit of advice to, like, how do they make it fun? So I think fun fun is a, is a very elusive term, like it's very broad, but I think, you know, people forget that fun, it's fun to win as well. It's fun Fun for girls could mean, you know, wearing the, the jersey, wearing their, their club gear around the place. It could also mean, you know, challenging themselves in terms of skill. You know, it, it, it's loads of meanings to fun. It's not as if you're just kind of going in and playing a game of duck, duck, goose or something. Like, it's it's actually very relevant to, you know, getting the best out of yourself. But I think really it's 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 maximising your time. Like, I, I always say when it comes to coaching, you know, maximum participation in your, your 60-minute session, how many minutes are the are the girls or our boys are they actually have, have the ball or the hurley in their hand? You know that are you are you maximizing that time? How many minutes of the session are you talking as a coach? You know that are they coming out? For some, that may be the only sixty minutes a week or two times a week that they're actually getting skill related uh, practice and that deliberate practice as well. So I think really it's like how are you maximizing your time, but also you know are you providing your players with that kind of reinforcement, that feedback, that encouragement and that social support for girls particularly, you know, they they need that kind of validation. They need that feedback. They need that communication. So it's, it's about kind of effectively communicating and providing that feedback um, as well as opportunities to practice the, the skill, having that deliberate practice as well. But I always say, you know, are they leaving the training session with a smile on their face? Like even if if it's just having a bit of a laugh at the end of the training session, if it's doing a bit of a fun team challenge game, even if it's just for three minutes of that 60 minutes, then you've your your job done and they are leaving and they will want to come back the next training session the next day. And that will affect their motivation, their intrinsic motivation. So really, it's actually very simple. Like you don't need to change the world. And, you know, it's just small steps like that, like effective communication, deliberate practice for skill. Um, and making sure that they're leaving the training session feeling good about themselves. Um, I think if you can do that, then I think, you know, a lot goes to, uh, you know, I think it'd be brilliant. And um, I think that girls particularly will enjoy the training sessions more. And I think that they will get a lot more out of it and they'll want to come back. So you uh, join one of the winningest teams in Irish sports history as essentially a kid and grow up uh, while at the same time studying what it is that makes sport accessible and successful. It, it sounds a little bit like you kind of looked into the fact that uh, there was a kind of coaching savant in charge of the team. It sounds like listening to your teammates 
uh, that you all had that sense of enjoyment at the end of all your training sessions. Now, there's loads of different reasons for that. Obviously, a uh, successful team, very, very driven characters, incredibly talented women uh, who were already high achievers. But it kind of seems like um, what you're talking about, Eamon Ryan kind of had this sense of just a, almost uh, innate ability to do the things that you're now codifying years later. Absolutely, yeah. And I think Eamon, speaking of Eamon, you know, he was such a positive influence on all of us um, and will continue to be a positive influence as well going going forward. And I think really with Eamon, it was just all about simplicity. You know, he we'd be doing such basic skills, but we'd be doing them at such a high intensity and focus. Um, but with Eamon, we always used to, you know, we, we'd be laughing when we're leaving the session. We'd always have some sort of a kind of fun relay or, you know, a game or we'd be kind of boxing each other or whatever on the pitch and we'd always leave just with that kind of upbeat feeling. I think that's just really important because, you know, as much as we want to win and as much as we want to win All-Ireland, like at the end of the day, like sport is a hobby as well for for us playing GAA that, you know, we do have other things going on in our life as well and it is an important part of our life. But at the end of the day, you know, having that kind of lightheartedness in the in the training session as well. It actually helps with bonding. It helps, you know, the players to bond together as well. Um and that feel good environment. Like you can't you can't beat it. You you'll forget about the drills, but you won't forget about how you feel coming off the pitch. And I think that's really, really important for coaches and for teachers and for players to appreciate that as well. Are we missing a trick, Orla, when it comes to PE in schools, especially for young girls? Like even when you look at Ireland in comparison to other EU countries, uh, like those, some of those stats you mentioned, like you know, twenty percent of, of young girls not getting that very basic sixty minutes a week. That's pretty. That's pretty startling. Yeah, it's very, very worrying. Um, and it's you know the stats are high, the figures are high. That's the reality of it. Um, unfortunately, um, and I think I suppose in Ireland, like you know, in terms of PE, the PE system as well, it's great that we have leaving cert PE now and on the on the curriculum and on the syllabus. I do think still that there's a lot more to do at kind of primary school level. And um, that's kind of the, the first few years. That's so important when it comes to developing habits about sport and about physical activity. And I think compared to other countries, I know other countries would have, you know, specific PE teachers actually to come into the schools, designated teachers to come into the schools to actually do PE. Um, it's not really regulated in Ireland um, in the sense of like, you know, I could be getting 30 minutes a, a day of physical activity or PE in school, you could be getting an hour, uh, you know, someone else could be getting no PE a week and that's not really regulated, which is quite worrying as well. And, you know, it, sometimes it can almost be too late when you get into secondary school because you've developed your habits, you've developed, you know, your paradigms about sport and about your attitudes toward, towards sport. So I do think that it is important and from a young younger age and even younger children as well um, even for parents and coaches to be developing that skill and developing that positive attitude um, from, a, from a young age Were you encouraged to play a multitude of different sports as you grew up? Was it a case of choosing one or another by a certain age or how did your background develop? I actually played um, camogie and I, I was a, a big um, athlete as well in athletics so I actually um, was a competitive runner at first before I, I joined football um, and I think that really stood to me I think having the athletics background in particular you know just in terms of the stamina and the fitness and the speed I think definitely complemented my play um, and would have been you know a, a big asset over the years 
you know, of 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 my play that was the running running game and and the fitness side of things. But I, I do think it's important. Like I definitely, you know, if it wasn't for athletics and if it wasn't for camogie and football, like I think by playing multiple sports when you're younger, it's really advantageous. And I think that you develop more confidence and you develop more skill. Your skill is more versatile, and and you also have you know an enhanced social connection as well. So I do think it's all positive. From my own experience, um, I was actually running competitively in athletics. I was a cross-country runner um, at the same time, kind of as I was got called up to the Cork Senior Ladies Football Panel. So I actually had, there had been talks of an athletics scholarship as well at the time over to America and um, to run professionally. Um, but I, I'm, I'm glad that I, I chose the, the route of, the, of staying at home with, with the Cork Ladies. Um, but yeah, like there are decisions that you will have to make, I suppose, Kind of coming into your later teens, um, if you want to take, you know, if you want to go a bit higher in terms of like elite sport, you know, you can't do it all. So there are decisions that I have to make. But I am grateful that I I chose the the path of of ladies football, um, and thankfully we've had that success over the years. But just I do think it's important for younger players definitely to ma- maximize their experience really and their the variety of sports. How far did those conversations go? Were you were you on a, a trip to the states looking at facilities? No, I I was there was talks about going to Kentucky, all right. Um, but I think at the time I suppose I was doing my leaving cert. I was also you know just had been called up to the court panel. I think we were in the All Ireland that year, yeah. That I was doing my leaving cert as well, and I felt I was a bit young. You know, I obviously had never lived out of home or anything. So I think you know the team. I think the team setup was the big draw to stay as well. Um, sometimes. Athletics can be, you know, you're on your own a lot and you're it's kind of you against like everyone else. So I think having that team aspect was the, was the big draw to stay in, in Cork and to play with the Cork ladies. Um, now, it's something that I, I, I feel I have unfinished business uh, in athletics as well. So maybe in a few years time, I might go back on the cross country field. Right. And, yeah, it's, it's hard to, to mix the two because cross country actually slows you down. Whereas you need to be off the mark when it when it's football because you need to be fast and turn and you know be agile. Whereas with cross country, you kind of have to build up your mileage and that can slow your speed down. It's more stamina in cross country, so I couldn't really you know do both over the years. So I do think perhaps maybe I might have some unfinished business in in the cross country world, um, and I I may go back in in the coming years. We have uh, other opportunities for you, apparently. David Riley's been in touch in the YouTube comments to say, Hi to Orla from everybody at Costa Gales in Marbella in Spain. Big game Aww. in Seville <laughs> on the 11th of February. We'll pay for the flights. So there you go. Retirement. Aww, yeah. I have a good relationship with Costa Gales. Um, I actually spent some time over there last year um, to do a bit of coaching and um, played with, with and trained with the boys and the girls over there as well. So um, a big shout out to Costa Gales and Justin McCarthy in particular. Yeah, they they were very good to me. See, I'm I'm not surprised or that you that you didn't choose Kentucky because Cork people love Cork. So I mean, <laughs> oh. Cork's better than Kentucky any day of the week. It's uh, absolutely People's Republic. When you talk all about. Um, yeah, I remember you, you speaking before about those six All Irelands and the fact that even during a lot of those All Ireland runs, you, you 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 wouldn't even have had hot food after training. You know, you wouldn't have had uh, travel expenses up until maybe recent mm-hmm. years. So, has the game come a long way in that, in that regard? The women's game, absolutely, yeah. I, I I think that it has has made massive strides, um, particularly from my own experience playing. So since 2011 to now, like 2023. Absolutely. Like in terms of just the LGFA have done incredible work 
um, you know, even the little sponsorship, the 2020 campaign, all of that has really, really helped um, improve and promote the game. Um, I remember in 2020, or yeah, 2011, I think, that was the first All-Ireland. Um, there was about maybe 17, 18,000 at the game. And then, you know, for th- that figure to be reaching almost 60,000 now is incredible. Um, it really, really is incredible. Um, even with the GPA as well. Um, I know the women's GPA and the GPA have emerged as well. And they have done really, really good work over the years. Um, and I think the last two years now we've been receiving expenses for the first time ever, which is really, really positive. Um, and a, cre- a credit to you know, the GPA as well for for organising all of that. Um, it has been frustrating, I won't lie, over the years. Um, but look, I suppose in, in terms of like the food situation and, you know, other aspects. But look, at the end of the day, like anything else should be a bonus. And, you know, Eamon used to always kind of remind us of that, that you're, you know, you're playing because you love to play and you're, you're passionate about it. Anything else should be a bonus. But I do think, obviously, in terms of the necessities such as food and travel expenses, um, that should be catered for. And look, it is being catered for now, slowly but surely, which is a really, really positive step going forward. Uh, we were, were talking about this uh, in advance and the, the whole... Uh, so there's loads of different pillars here. There's like participation is hugely important. There's also the elite end of the sport that needs to be developed and, and financed properly. One of the next great frontiers is bringing through... Uh, female coaches and managers and we still seem to be a little bit behind the curve uh, and I don't know is there is there something that can be done to uh, to hothouse talented coaches to make sure that we see that next generation coming through and just assuming the roles and the sidelines that they should be assuming Yeah I agree with that alright there's definitely a lack of the female kind of you know referees and coaches um, to, a credit to Sport Ireland and Fairness and they always try and encourage and you know, they run programs for like women's coaches and all that as well. So they're always kind of trying to improve things for, for women. Um, I do think, you know, we do need kind of more women role models as well. And I do feel that we kind of need more women to kind of stand up um, and speak about, you know, even coaching, refereeing. Um, like you, I, I, I do think the role model aspect of it is, is massive. Um, and whether that's at a grassroots level or county level or at a national level, I do think that kind of more women need to kind of speak up about it and share their experiences of coaching, refereeing, you know, getting involved with teams um, in order for a bit of momentum, I think, to, to come. Like I, I often say as well with, you know, over the years, when I look up at the stand, when I'm playing, most of the time, like you'd see men, the majority of the stand, men, and there wouldn't be as many women supporting the women. So like sometimes the women actually have to get on board to support the women. You know, women, more women come to the matches, more women maybe speak up about their experiences of coaching um, or playing um, to try and inspire and encourage women to, to get involved kind of at a, at a higher level and an elite level as well. Yeah, for sure. All the great stuff. Congratulations on an incredible career, like truly incredible. And it sounds like you're going to do more brilliant work in the uh, world of sport in the future too. So best of luck with everything. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Great to have you on this morning. That's uh, Orla Farmer there, who has, as we said, just recently retired, a six-time All-Ireland champion. Uh, and that is a glittering career by any stretch of the imagination. A reminder, OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It is 20 minutes past nine uh, on OTB Sports Radio for you. That's our live continuous uh, feed of sports content. You can get that on the OTB Sports app. Uh, or you can get it on Go Loud as well. The Club Championship show is live from half past ten this morning. Will O'Callaghan and Ashling O'Reilly hosting. It's a Ballyhale Shamrocks love-in. 
uh, following their All-Ireland club win over Dunloy at the weekend. A number of players are going to be on the show, including the Ballyhale boss himself, Pat Hope, and you can tune in live at half ten. Um, TJ in the paper saying, we didn't get enough respect. And like they got a lot of respect. People are saying they're the greatest club team of all time. As in, since the final, well, <laughs> or before uh, last year, they felt like Ballygunner were. So Ballygunner won one. We won the previous two. What? Like, come on! Uh, it's funny. You know, it's funny what drives the greats. You know, mm. maybe Dunloy like, Dunlo- didn't get enough respect uh, before the game. I mean, they didn't. You know, but um, I would say I would say Ballyhead got a lot of respect. And like, <laughs> I love the siege mentality. Well, when they, they were being congratulated them. on the steps last year by. Uh, Bally Gunner, they were they were taking offence to it. So whatever whatever it took for them to get back up and get excited about winning this year, it worked. Um, somebody got the juices flowing of Colin Fenley and TJ Reid in a year when he'd a lot going on. Mm. You know, there was a lot going on in his life. Pretty busy, pretty busy. Um, uh, yeah, the so. whole the whole siege mentality in Gaelic, especially in club football, I love it. Like the, Robbie Brennan having the Kilku lads on his wall, on his phone, and TJ using Bally Gunner as, as motivation. It seems to be everywhere, though. Like yeah. Joe, Joe Burrow has it. Everybody has said Joe Burrow is like this incredible talent who is going to win multiple uh, Super Bowls. Mm. And over the last couple of weeks, they're like, oh, "We didn't get any credit." I'm like, "Yeah, you did. You got loads of credit. Tom Brady had it. Yeah. You're the greatest of all time. You're the greatest of all time. Maybe Joe Montana is the same as you. I don't know. I'm not sure. It's hard to tell." Yeah. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> but even the um, the Bengals head coach, you know, when they, they had the clip of the inside the dressing room after the the, the win of the Bills, Zach Taylor was kind of there on camera, and he knew he was on camera, and he was handing out the game balls and throwing them around the around the locker room, and uh, everyone doubted us. They all doubted us. I don't know who doubted them. Maybe, maybe the Bills. Uh, well, Demar Hamlin train was they sold in. tickets for a game that was only going to happen if the if they lost. So if the Bills played the Chiefs, that game was right. going to be at a neutral field because of the Demar Hamlin thing, right? Yeah, of course. And they sold fifty thousand tickets, and they were like, "We're playing in that game. Yeah. Don't sell a single ticket." <laughs> it's like, well, we have to for. It's for logistics reasons. It's yeah. like the parade for the Super Bowl champions is always announced the week before. Yeah, you got to be prepared. So that they know where there's going to be a parade where, you know, like 100,000 cops have to come out and stand there and watch a bunch of lunatics getting pissed and jumping off. Like, you know. Traffic management. There's a little, there's something that has to go into that. Mm. But all the players are like, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> like, you know. Whatever flo- whatever works for them. Just don't tell anybody you're preparing it. Yeah, of course. Well, well it worked works. for the Bengals. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah. Worked for the Bengals, worked for Ballyhale. Worked for Kilmacud. Did it? <laughs> we'll it did. See, it did. It out. did in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or maybe it didn't. We'll see. Mm. Game's not over. 23 minutes past nine this morning uh, on OTV Sports Radio for the rest of the day. Michael Owen talking about life after football. Coy gig at three o'clock. Um, they're talking this week about the uh, slippy pitches and the propensity for ACL injuries and really that just should not have happened. Uh, our retro panel had the theme for the day, how we coach kids and OTV Gold is Dennis Ogie Moran in the week that... Um, his son has retired uh, an absolute legend of the game as well um, that is a, a talented family you can follow off the wall across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB podcast network for all the best in the latest sports content uh, after the break the Waterford born La Rochelle winger E.K. Anagu will join us on the line stay tuned OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? It almost feels like we're in the running already, and every point, every match is being treated as this great test. There's still half a season to go. I'm not sure how long you can maintain that sort of nervous energy, that emotional intensity. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB. 
AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Big week for Waterford. Uh, on Colleen Kuhn uh, gets nominated for an Oscar and uh, Ike Anagu is in the Ireland Under-20 squad. Ike, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good in yourself. Yeah, good. Is that the first time you've been um, mentioned in the same breath as an Oscar winner? Hopefully it won't be the last. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely does feel exciting. Um, yeah, it's just it's a dream, actually. <laughs> Come here. How did that whole process actually happen? What's the the bit where um, the Irish rugby selectors are made aware of the fact that you can play for Ireland, that uh, you grew up for a, a period of time in, in Waterford? Um, I think so. Um before I came to La Rochelle, um, we tried to, to actually go to Ireland first, so they were made aware of me um, uh, about like the, towards the end of 2021. Um, I think Leinster and stuff were in contact with my agents, and then they just kept contact, uh, sending my games through, um, all my footage, all the, um, every game. And then, of course, Ronan O'Gara helped a bit um, with speaking to Richie and helping me get into a camp. Okay, right. So this uh, had kind of been on your radar and your agent's radar for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. So, yeah. Um, your your upbringing for a, a sports person is um, is very varied, and it's, we've just been talking with um, uh, a PhD in coaching about how multiple sports is really helpful for you. So you're a basketballer as well as a rugby player. Is that correct? Yeah. I played so many sports when I was a kid. I played uh, football as well. Cricket, tennis, I did a bit of swimming, but yeah, um, I think playing a lot of sports really just helped me as a rugby player because you take all those different aspects and it just adds to your game, like the jumping power, the speed of doing athletics or something like that. It just helps with, with your rugby game, so it was definitely a great experience. So you went to school like, uh, in Johannesburg in South Africa, but uh, am I right in saying La Rochelle just saw a clip of you playing rugby in South Africa and that was what uh, led to them... I guess inquiring about your your availability. Um, it was we played a couple of games. It was a, a festival at Mon- uh, Monument High School in Johannesburg, and we played a couple of games. And I did really well in those two games. And from there, I got I was able to get looked at by a French agent who then sent my games through to to a couple of French clubs. And La Rochelle was the one I picked. And. Like I know you, you had a contract offer from the Lions on the table in South Africa. So what what made your mind up to choose La Rochelle over over perhaps staying in South Africa? Um, I think I always just wanted to play Northern Hemisphere rugby, and then on top of that, just having Rogers my, as the head coach. Like for me, that was really a big deal. Uh, Rogers, one of the guys I grew up watching, like one of my favorite players of all time. So to to have the opportunity to be coached by him, I think also um our uh, our academy head coaches go through Stian Camp, who's also a Springbok World Cup winning Springbok, and you got a couple of South Africans in there like Raymond Rule and Dylan Lays. I always, I, I just thought that it would be a great environment for me to learn, and it wouldn't be too, it would be really far from home, but not have a bit of a few familiar faces. When did you start taking rugby seriously? When did you decide which of these sports that you were interested in and playing a lot that you would kind of knuckle down and go for the rugby? I'd say still in primary school, about 12, 13. Right. Um, it was just like, I just enjoyed it a lot more. And then my mom, of course, was also trying to push me towards rugby. So, yeah, I think, yeah, about 10, 12, 13. 
And so, uh, were you a fan of Rod because of, of your Irish background as well anyway, or did you just like the style of play? Like, you know, obviously, you, you can pick which of, of these many different countries that you're associated with now to play with. What's the, what's the link with the Irish rugby team in terms of, like, dreaming of playing for Ireland? Um, I don't know. I just, every single sport I played, I said, whichever sport I play, I'll, I'll, I'll always represent Ireland, I think. I know, just wanting to go back and um, I actually, actually have no clue. It's just, just something in me, in my blood, eh? What part of Waterford is it? Um, I'm not too sure. I don't remember that much, but um, I, I, I actually don't remember that okay, much. Okay, right. Okay, that's uh, just interesting that um, the, the draw is, is so strong still. And when the call comes through to be involved in the Ireland Under-20 squad, is that like... Uh, was it straightforward? Did you know it was coming? Did you kind of have a sense it, it might be a possibility? Um, I think I felt like I was always good enough. Just didn't, I was, of course, in France and I didn't know if they knew me, um, if they knew I was here and they knew that I was playing well and I had um, Irish eligibility. So I think I did, I, in terms of skill and stuff, I, I definitely could have, but just in terms of getting there, it was always the, the, the tricky part. So when the call came through, of course, I was just really ecstatic. Um, I didn't, I kind of didn't expect it because, um, like, we hadn't been in contact before. I hadn't been to any camps or anything, so it was a big surprise for me. And when it came through, I was absolutely ecstatic. My family was extremely happy for me, and it was a, a dream come true. Uh, Ike, we have we have uh, Raj on on the show quite uh, quite regularly here. He's a, he's a friend of the show, and. Um, yeah, he spoke about you a couple of weeks ago. He was he was full of praise for you. And um, what what what's he been like to work with? You know, as both a coach and and a person over in Arachel. And uh, you know, you can you can fill him full of praise here because we'll play the clip to him when he's next on. <laughs> yeah. So um, like even now, I still I still get starstruck every time I speak to Rog. Uh, like walking through the hallways, he greets me. He's like always full of energy. Says my name in a very very energetic way every time, and he's just a great guy. Like on the field, he he's very energetic, full of like very enthusiastic coach. Really good at getting his message across to his players, but also like he's also like a really cool guy. Just like when you try to speak to him on the side, he's not gonna you're gonna have a couple of laughs with him, can have some banter with him. So he's he's a great coach, and of course a dream for me. A dream come true to work with to work with him. A few uh, we, I'm reading some of the comments that Ronan has uh, has uh, said about you before. He says, uh, uh, "Iki went back to Ireland with the under twenties, and I had a few texts from the boys going, he's one of your boys.' And I said he was. I don't know what his best position is. He could be a belting twelve, or he could be a dominant winger. He's very young still, but hopefully we get a top fourteen game into him soon. So, Rog, pointing out you're you're a very versatile player as well, which is a useful asset. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I think. Um, just wherever I've been, I've just been put in whatever position suits the team more. So I've just been able to to learn many positions and excel at them. So just very blessed to to have the skill set and be able to play multiple positions. What's your preferred position though? Um, I actually don't even know right now. Uh, I think my preferred position is whatever position the coach puts me in on this on the weekend. <laughs> well, I that's think that's it. the right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, yeah. you look at it. So. Um, 
So reading about uh, Jamie Osborne coming through, they didn't have him pinned as a centre. They had him in various different positions. I think still on the the Leinster website. And then all of a sudden, you get your opportunity, you get your uh, opportunity, and you grab it. Even Gordon Darcy writing in the paper is like for a, a long time he was a wing slash fullback, and then all of a sudden gets thrust into Six Nations as a centre and his player of the, the the tournament. And you're like, okay, he might just be a centre now. So I think you, you got to keep your options open, but. Uh, in terms of making the first team, what what are the like what are your goals for that? Obviously, you want to, right? But what's a realistic time frame for you to be up from the espoirs and in first team squads and match days and getting games? What's the, what's the timeline for that? Do you think? Um, I actually have no clue, but I, I would for me my goal from the start my goals at the start of the season were to hopefully be in the Irish squad, which I've achieved now and to make a debut and in terms of playing regularly I, I don't think I'd play regularly this season but hopefully next season I could get maybe like five six games and then from there we see what goes on but I don't think there's a certain time frame I think it just, just depends on on injuries and stuff also because we have like a really big squad with, um, with insane players world-class players so I think it just all depends on how I do and um, what 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 the first team needs at at that point in time? Because again, it's hard to to give a youngster an opportunity when there's still a couple of world class guys and and all that kind of stuff ahead of them. So, yeah, I'm I'm not too sure yet. Ronan has uh, spoken about you the importance of you becoming GIF qualified. Again, for people unfamiliar with that term, it's a player of French formation. So. Each team in France must field um, an average of 16 GIF players per game over the course of the season. So this is a player who has spent three years in France and is not an international anywhere else. So that's is that is that an important aspect for you as well to to, to get that GIF qualification and uh, become one of those players? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think before I came to France, I didn't really know much about it either. But now uh, finding more about it, I think before I, I ever leave, I have to get my GIF. So definitely will help in the future so that's definitely a big 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 part of uh, what I, one of the reasons I'm here now You're involved with, with Richie Murphy's Irish under 20 side now for the Six Nations so, so I mean you're, you're making the right strides what's the ultimate what's the ultimate ambition I mean getting into that Irish first team I'd imagine in the next number of years is the is the ultimate ambition Yeah exactly that um, for me it's always been Ireland and then British and Irish Lions so those are the two big ones and hopefully I can achieve them throughout my career. Well, we wish you the very best of luck with it. It's been brilliant chatting to you this morning. Ike, congratulations on uh, your inclusion with Ireland and best of luck at La Rochelle. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You too. Take care. That's um, just another interesting story and really hope that he makes it uh, six foot three. Mm, I, can, I can imagine. We're going to have a big backline. Oh, huge. I, I, can, I, can, I can. Osborne's massive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. So we had um, I don't know, we had Robbie Henshaw uh, speaking with Cameron earlier in the week. Robbie Henshaw is bigger than I've ever seen him. The hands we were admiring He's the like, hands. Yeah, and Shovels. so it looked like yeah, Cameron was a child sitting in one of those children's seats beside me. He's he's six foot three. <laughs> like yeah, like a baby beside him. A so. big man. Just the the raw Irish brutality with the yeah. farmer's hands. Maybe good good midfielders gone a begging for uh, their respective counties. Yeah. Fair point. Uh, right, it's 9.37, we're a little bit late. Um, uh, 
OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Back tomorrow, Irish boxer Gronya Walsh, fresh off the back of her victory over Amy Broadhurst to take the welterweight crown at the National Stadium. We also have Kerry's All-Ireland winner Paul Ganey on the line. Jess Kelly's in studio. We've got the latest around the world with Hannon and plenty else. Obviously, there's going to be a tomorrow's daily update on who are the uh, reigning All-Ireland club champions at the moment. We don't know as it stands. Uh, that game is in dispute. Now, there's, um, there's an interesting little wrinkle that's breaking. Uh, Croaks are apparently confident that they're going to win any, any appeal or any hearing on the basis that they didn't break the rule, that the referee is responsible, that uh, what should have happened was it should have been retaken, it wasn't retaken, and so therefore the decision is final, what happened on the pitch stays on the pitch, and away you go. I mean... The referee didn't call it back, the, the free kick was taken without the whistle being blown... They're pretty confident that they're going to win with that. It's too loose, isn't it? Because uh, as we've been saying... But like the rules, you know, if if there's a legal case, it's going to be made. Yeah. Obviously, you can make the argument that Kilmacud had a responsibility as well to ensure that their player was off the pitch or to let the fourth official or the sideline official know that... Well, if the referee doesn't blow the whistle to allow him to take the free, then the free shouldn't have been taken. The free should have been retaken, but that's just a referee error. Mm. And if the free was retaken... The game is over. So I don't know. This is uh, this is just something that has come to our attention in the last five minutes. And like, it, it, yeah, makes it all all the more interesting. And if it's not in the referee's report, I mean, where does that leave Kilmacud? Well, certainly we could be at the disputes resolution authority at the end of this, or we could replay the game. But I don't. I don't think. I think the the mood music, as Declan Bogue was reporting in the Herald and probably in the Irish Independent as well, is that Crokes don't want to do the replay. So we'll see. No shit, yeah. 9.39. This, uh, this is the, st- the story. As Nicky Brennan goes, well, it's certainly making things interesting. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 